Good to have you here on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, we're glad you're here. We've got plenty to get to here on the show as well. Rich Styles will join us. Uh, back nine boys will talk about the Ryder Cup, U.S. winning in just rousing fashion. We'll look at some breaking college football news out there as well. We're going to do a little college football Jeopardy. Ben, the reigning Ken Jennings of the show. He is the Jeopardy champion uh, here of three and out, so we'll do that here in just a little bit. But in the final hour of the program, Sean Bedford, Georgia Tech Radio Network, former uh, Yellow Jacket offensive lineman, will join us. We'll talk about uh, Georgia Tech big win over North Carolina. Now have Pitt this weekend and could move to 2-0 and in divisional play in the ACC if they can get a win at home this Saturday. Also, Drew DeArmond, ESPN The Zone Huntsville. We'll talk some football with him. You have Alabama and Ole Miss coming up this Saturday in an absolute huge one. But speaking of big, Braves and Phillies start a three-game series tonight. BJ and Ben up two and a half, six games to go, three games head-to-head with the Phillies. Doesn't get much bigger than that. Massive. And I think tonight with Charlie Morton on the mound facing Zach Wheeler, who's had a great year, this is the biggest game of the season for the Braves. And you might be able to say that again tomorrow and again the next day, but you are looking at a couple of series left, right? You have Philadelphia and you have the Mets. Well, hopefully you play the Mets in a three-game set where you know you've won the division and you can kind of point at them and say, hey, where are y'all going? So hopefully that doesn't matter. Now on the Mets side, that's already the case. They've been eliminated. But there is a theoretical scenario, depending upon what happens the next three days, where those games against the Mets could be vitally important. And you could have to play a makeup game against Colorado. Best case scenario, Kevin, sweep Philadelphia. Maybe maybe two out of three would be enough, depending upon what happens a couple of days after that. But if you can take care of business this week, you don't have to make up the game against Colorado. You don't have to start scoreboard watching when Philadelphia goes down to Miami to finish the season. If you win this game tonight, you set the tone in the series, you move the margin to three and a half with two games against Philadelphia head-to-head remaining, this is absolutely critical. You're at home, Charlie Morton's on the mound, you're going for a fourth straight division title. The Braves have been playing pretty good baseball lately. This is the spotlight game that really, the type of game that you've been thinking about since the end of last season when you almost made it to the World Series. You wanted to play in games that matter. You wanted to play in games that have direct postseason implications. You already know who you'll play if you win the division, the Milwaukee Brewers. Go out there, get it done tonight. But, yes, I know we are thick in college football season. This is as big as it gets in the regular season for the Atlanta Braves. This is what you want too. You want you wanted to you want this uh you want this game to mean as much as it means, BJ and Kevin, because it either brings out the best and the worst of either team. I mean, you talk about a Phillies team that, you know, really hasn't been, you know, I had a lot to talk about, you know, uh, since I mean, I think they haven't been in the playoffs for the last three years, obviously with the Braves going uh three for three winning the NL East. But you talk about a Braves team that had to overcome a lot of adversity this year to even find themselves uh in this position right now. But I think that the stakes are very, very high. You got you got the storyline, Kevin, of Bryce Harper, for which I mean, he's he's been on the MVP type, uh, had an MVP type season this year, and they're going to be looking for him uh, to be very, very explosive throughout this series. You talk about a Braves team that, BJ, if those bats get hot, it's over. I mean, it, it's over. They can score seven, eight runs in an inning when you look at how this Braves team has come together chemistry-wise. And I know it's going to be the ever-evolving you know, the ever evolving door of Will Smith. And, and, Kevin, I know that is a sour, you know, a sour subject when you talk about Braves fans, but – 
this is like a preview. If this Braves team is going to get what they hope to get in the postseason, you're going to start kind of looking like how it's going to look at in the postseason right now. You're going to kind of start really how they're going to orchestrate this postseason roster uh, with this, with, you know, with this series against the Phillies. But I think that when you talk about when you talk about uh, pro sports, you judge the best when you go up against the best, and it's all about the stakes. It's not that if you're playing this team. The Phillies understand, you know, how dangerous this Braves team is, and whenever you play in a, a division opponent, they, there are no secrets out here. We know what pitches you can hit, what pitches you can't hit. We know what guys you can be more aggressive with when they up the bat and whatnot. But I think that this is when nerves hopefully don't <clears throat> uh, take over when it comes to some of these guys. Austin Riley has been amazing. This infield for the Braves have been amazing. Who cares? You got to do it now. Like, all you've done up to this point is put yourself in a position to go out there and, uh, you know, potentially, like, you know, uh, add, you know, put more distance between you and the fields. But this fields team is very, very dangerous. I know the mess is out of it, but it ain't about looking, about looking at a team down the road. It's about the team right here in front of you. I do like the Braves. Chance BJ, you mentioned Charlie Morton. I just think the chemistry of the Braves versus the roster of the Phillies is what you're going to be looking at. The Braves aren't going to be the big spinners in baseball, but the Bra Alex Anthopoulos, wait, Kevin, I mean, you, you, I mean, you uh, let me know if I'm wrong, has – his way of spending and way of orchestrating this uh this roster since he's been there has worked. I don't think he's done a better job than he uh than he's done this year, even even in the midst of what he's done the, uh, the previous three years. Yeah, I think this year's been pretty good because uh, you had some things happen that you either weren't hoping for or expecting. Ronald Acuna goes down out for the year, then Marcelo Zuna. I mean, who could have foreseen potentially that was going to happen? He hasn't been with you pretty much the entirety of of twenty twenty one, but I think it's very telling. BJ, as you said, what the Braves did to get here. And you say, well, what does that mean? They rearranged their pitch. That was an important series in San Diego. They went with a bullpen game on Sunday to push Charlie Morton into this series so that you have Morton, Freed, and Anderson, i.e. your three best pitchers you have right now in the rotation are going to pitch in the three most important games you potentially have the rest of the way. That says all you need to know about what the Braves think about right now. They rearranged their pitching in a pretty big series against San Diego where, you know, at one point it was down to a half a game. Uh, lead over, over, uh, over Philadelphia. They rearranged their pitching to work it out so that Morton, Freed, and Anderson are going right here against the Phillies. Well, it shows the sense of urgency. I mean, you're talking about a team that is on the verge of four consecutive division titles and that's in a division where the Phillies have spent a ton of money the Mets have spent a ton of money before they went out and traded everybody the Nats a ton of money and the Braves have kind of done it their way and uh, Anthopolis made some really nice moves guys that are I mean where would this team be without Solaire without Duvall uh, what we've seen out of those two in particular uh, there's a lot of I, I, I think there's a lot of cautious optimism heading into this series because of what Atlanta did in San Diego, where, like you said, it, it, it got down to a half game and you started looking around going, uh-oh. And then Atlanta found a way to battle back, won some absolutely critical games, and put themselves in position to be the favorite in this series. But I think, just being honest, just kind of speaking for, uh, you know, baseball fans, there are some games in the regular season where you can just kind of pay attention from afar, right? Okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm channel surfing, I'll see what the Braves are doing, or I'm listening you know, on the radio while I'm driving or I'm out at the beach and I'm listening. This is must-see TV, must-listen-to radio tonight. Atlanta, Philadelphia, 1-2 in the division, three games, two-and-a-half game lead. This is what it's all about. And and not to be overly cliche here, too early in the week for that. I mean, this is a 
this is a playoff series, is it not, guys? I mean, Ben, is that if you're not if you're not thinking or treating this as a playoff series, I think you're going to be surprised, and I think the Braves will. I think you will see an atmosphere tonight that looks and feels like the postseason, and I think the Braves will be ready for it. Momentum is going to be on the Braves' side because you don't want to go into the playoffs, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of hoping and wishing that, you know, uh, or, or really trying to get, you know, get back to like, uh, like postseason form. Yes, BJ, this is a playoff series, and is there a more battle-tested team in the in the league than the Braves? I mean, this, I mean, and I'm not taking away nothing for Freddie Free. This might be the 2021 version of Moneyball, BJ. When you talk about how much money is being spent in the NL East, they don't do that with the Braves. They really, really don't. They got their young superstar, their young phenom, who's hurt. They got they, they they got the face of the franchise right now, Freddie Free, who still, by the way, has a guy his contract extension. And the longer it stays out, there, the probably more money he's gonna get. You look at the additions that they added. You look at the guys that were that they, they had Mike Soroka the whole season, you know, and Marcelo Zuna and all these different storylines. So I, if it was anybody but the Braves, I mean, they would probably would not even be in this position right now. But they just stayed the course. When Ronald Acuna Jr. goes out, everybody would have gave Snip and freaking Alexanthopoulos and Mulligan. You know what they said? Nope, we still going for it. That is a sign of a great team, that even with my best player, I am still good enough to go out there and win. Not, not looking for a wild card spot, but win the division. To stay the course in the midst of whatever happens showed you that we don't build our team around one player. We build our team around team chemistry, team culture, and it has been working. So I'm very, I'm excited. And listen, the Braves, no matter how you feel, they're still the most dangerous team because all some of these guys know is winning the division. They don't know nothing else. So why would they want to go back to – I mean, all I know is winning the division. Sorry, Freddie Free, that you had to go through the dark ages. But since then, Freddie Free has reigned MVP and obviously have another MVP year. But, Kevin, I mean, yeah. none of that means nothing if you don't go out there and handle business starting tonight. Well, I think tonight is the most important one, right? I mean, you're two and a half up. You've got Charlie Morton against Zach Wheeler. Great pitching matchup. You win tonight. No matter what happens the next two nights, they cannot overtake you. They cannot overtake you. For the lead in the East, it will go to the last weekend uh, if the Braves win tonight. You can guarantee that. Braves have the Mets. Phillies have the Marlins. So I think it's kind of a wash there as to what could happen in the last weekend of the season. But critically important that the Braves, I think, win that one tonight where the Phillies, at least on the mound, probably are giving you their best shot uh, with, with Zach Wheeler. That being said, BJ, I mean, we think back to one kind of botched call early in the season where, you know, Alec Bohm never touched home plate in a tie ball game late. And who's to say the Braves win that one? But obviously that was a huge play. It could be three and a half coming into tonight where even if you got swept, you're still winning. You're still leading the division going into the, the last weekend. So, and that's just one game where a, a critical call went against you. I know the Braves have had a couple of those where guys, I think Freddie Freeman got one where he actually touched a plate against the Yankees and he was called out. I mean, you could be talking about a three-and-a-half, four-game lead just on two calls at the plate that a lot of people think were missed, even with replay. So uh, it could have already been clinched, but it comes down, and what more could you ask? Then it comes down to a head-to-head with six to go, up two-and-a-half, and your best three guys are on the mound. Now, if Will Smith comes out, you know, break out the rosary beads and everything else because you're going to be praying like everybody else. That, I mean, if the best thing you could say out of last weekend was, well, Will Smith did get two saves, it was the probably worst possible way you could get two saves, but he got two saves. Uh, and I've said it for a while, that doesn't give me confidence closing games in October, the fact that you are just getting by uh, because just getting by doesn't happen in October. So 
Very important to win these games. Probably tonight the most important one, BJ. I agree with all of that. You know, uh, uh, Will Smith in the postseason, uh, one-run game, that makes me nervous. I think that makes all of us nervous. But before we worry about that, let's worry about where we are. And I definitely think it's a fair point, too, to talk about the missed calls. You know, the game of Philadelphia with Bohm, that was one. But Braves fans can probably think of three or four at least replays where you're thinking, this, this, this isn't even logical. Like, to review this in slow motion and go with the call or, or, or make or confirm a call that's clearly wrong, Braves have been very unlucky on that front. I agree. I think very realistically, Atlanta could be three and a half, four and a half games up right now, but you're not. Sense of urgency, all eyes on you. This is what you look forward to if you're a competitor, and I think you better bring it tonight. I think Philadelphia is desperate. Wouldn't surprise me if they try to you yeah. know, steal some bases, kind of put the pressure on Atlanta. Be ready for it and uh, bring it tonight. Yeah, the pressure on them to come in and get it done. Braves a win tonight, and it's three and a half. Again, they can't overtake you in the rest of the series. They're going to have to do it uh, winning and getting a little help from. We got a comment from our good friend Adam Fisher saying, let's talk football, guys. What is it, the bottom of the eighth or is it three and out? It is three and out, Adam. We appreciate the, uh, the kind words, and we will talk uh, football. Speaking of uh, just this weekend. Matt Corral, Bryce Young, squaring off head-to-head. Uh, Matt Corral plus wins 160, a slight favorite in the Heisman race. I think some of that gets sorted out this weekend when they go head-to-head. Uh, they're Bama and the Rebels. Great matchup and might be the best quarterback matchup we see all season potentially. Uh, I think I mentioned this yesterday on the show, but right now nationally in all of college football, Bryce Young is fifth in the country with a 188.6 passer rating. Matt Corral is sixth in the country with a 187.7 passer rating. So Bryce Young and Matt Corral right now are separated in that statistical category by less than one point. So they've been very comparable, needless to say. Both guys have been fantastic. Uh, I I would lean in favor of Young for me in terms of uh, an early Heisman frontrunner, whatever that's worth, in, in, in late September. I think having done it against two nationally ranked teams, I know Miami not ranked anymore, but Miami, and then to have thrown three touchdown passes at Florida, he's done it against tougher competition to date than Matt Corral, but both guys are awesome. Both guys are spectacular, and uh, Corral could be the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft. This is going to come down to team versus one player. I mean, I understand that Matt Corral is a guy that can go out there and make it happen, him and Jerry on Ely, but he's going to need a full team effort to be able to beat this Alabama team that's, you know, getting guys like, uh, you know, Brian Robinson back, you know, who, you know, you add him back to the fold. But, BJ, I think you said it best. You got two of the best young, talented quarterbacks in the country. <clears throat> Matt Corral is a guy. But which, you know, you, you look at what he, his skill set brings to the table. Him and Lane Kiffin are a match made in heaven. But what Lane Kiffin wants to do offensively, Matt Corral has no limitations to what he brings to the table. Bryce Young is going he's, – he's trying to keep up with the legacy at the quarterback position. He's trying to be the first to ever win the Heisman at quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I know people are saying, wait a minute, there are things in football that Alabama hasn't done. Yep, like, you know, take a man to the moon and actually win a Heisman at quarterback. <laughs> so, yes, there are things that Alabama hasn't done. But I think that because Matt Corral has played Alabama last year, and I think last year's team is better than this year's team for Alabama. And I think you look at what uh, you look at what um, Matt Corral was able to do last year against a, against the defense that, while improved, I think was a better overall team. So, yes, I do think it's going to come down to an individual performance versus a team effort. But, yes, Bryce Young 
is a guy that seemed to get better. What, 15 touchdowns to one interception? You can't, you can't deny those type of numbers. I just say this. If JT Daniels or DJU or Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell had 15 touchdowns in one pick, what would we be saying about them? Don't, don't say this man is only good because of the team he's on. No, I think the team he's on is good because of him because he is the orchestrator of the offense, which is the rhythm of the entire team. But, yes, yeah, should be a great matchup this week for two incredible QBs. Yeah, and you get uh, Brian Robinson projected to come back for Bama as well. So, uh, just more weapons for uh, for Alabama. But how do you feel about this one? Is is Lane Kiffin, he's got a quarterback. Does he have enough of a team around him to pull this off? It's a fair question. Uh, I think I think Ole Miss has very good talent, right? You look at guys like Jerrion Ely, uh, you know, going to play in the National Football League. You look at Drummond out wide. You're improved defensively. Uh, but, but Alabama defensively is on a different level. And I don't know that we've seen Alabama's defense – have to play for four quarters yet I mean you think about even the Miami game uh you know even the even the Florida game I think it was a little bit different of a dynamic because you were protecting a large lead so I don't know that for four quarters you had kind of that that tense back and forth at least with the opposing offense and the defense when Alabama was was in Gainesville and late obviously that was the case but if this becomes a back and forth you know you score I score you score I score kind of game I think that is a little bit of a new challenge for, for Alabama defensively. So I absolutely expect Ole Miss to go after Alabama, to throw the ball downfield, to you know utilize the full width of the field, to try to find matchup problems, Ben. Don't be surprised if Ely gets the lot out of the slot as a receiver or in the flat as a receiver to try to get him matched up with linebackers. But look, Alabama is still Alabama. And some of the whispers we heard in the preseason of could this be the year, uh, they've, they've silenced all that. And, and you think about the guys, Ben, think about the receivers that have come through there, man. When you think about, you know, Judy and, 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 and Ruggs and Waddle and just all these superstar receivers, uh, you have more superstar receivers. John Mechie's still great. Jamison Williams, the Ohio State transfer, has been one of the best players in the country. He's been an absolute superstar. In his last game, the Alabama Southern Miss game, he had three plays of over 80 yards. He had an 81-yard catch for a touchdown, a 100-yard kickoff for a touchdown, and an 83-yard kickoff for a touchdown. So keep an eye on him. I think Ole Miss can play with Alabama. I think for it to be tight late, they may need a couple of turnovers, which is a possibility. But looking forward to this one. It's going to be fun. And uh, Lane Kiffin versus uh, Nick Saban always is. I'm looking forward to a track meet. I mean, all gas, no brakes if you are Lane Kiffin and that Ole Miss offense. I've never, ever understood why people hold things back when you talk about Alabama. You're going to get exposed either way, right? What, what was it, a couple of years removed that Alabama – I mean, Alabama versus Ole Miss, the opening – the opening, uh, I think the opening play was a touchdown pass, Ole Miss, and obviously after that, it just went all Alabama. I, when you go up against a team like Alabama is, you – it, it, I, you know, I mean, and I'm not putting on my homer shoes. You go back to the Florida-Alabama game. You know how much Florida learned about themselves in a loss? Like, look, man, we can play with these dudes. And to me, that's the thing about Alabama. When You know, BJ, it goes back to when Pitt played Clemson in the AC Championship game. We are up there, and you're saying, dude, when I'm sitting on the field looking at Clemson, standing right there in front of them looks way different than watching them on the field. And then you got to get out there with them. Alabama, I know this. Listen, they breathe the same air we breathe. They, they, they practice really, really hard. But it's an expectation not just from the opening kick to the to the final zero on that clock. You better be all gas, no brakes when you talk about Alabama. And if you Ole Miss, what does it do for the rest of their season? Because Alabama is the only team that doesn't have to win that division and doesn't have to play in the SEC Championship game to still be in the college football playoff. So St. Nick might be feeling a little generous. Hey, what's up, Lane? You want to know what it feels like to go? Because if I'm not mistaken, Ole Miss has never been 
to an SEC championship game. I don't, I don't, so, so yeah, did, look, you got the right coach. You got the right player. You got the right scheme. You got to put it all together. And I think that I think it's going to be a better game to get people give it credit for. But it's going to be, are you still in it, in it going into the half, going into halftime? And what type of momentum do you come, you know, out of halftime with? Because the thing about Alabama, they've seen it all, done it all, dealt with it all. I want to see if Bryce Young can play in adverse conditions. We will find out come Saturday. BJ, some other news. Clemson's Brian Bercy is out for the year with an ACL uh, injury. Will Shipley, James Skalski, they'll expect to be back uh, this week. And Clemson, one of those teams, you wonder how they deal with it. I mean, uh, again, there's not a guy outside of the incoming freshman. There's not a person on that roster outside of the first-year true freshman that have not been in a playoff game or a, co- or a college football national championship game or haven't been in the ACC championship game. All of that is in jeopardy right now after you lost last week. And it's not so much... Uh, their defense, and you would say, well, their defense better be good because offensively, BJ, you were going inside some of the numbers. Uh, you're used to the Trevor Lawrence's and the Sean Watson's and, and all those guys going back. This offense is bad, right? I mean, like, uh, if we look at the ACC. They're not known for 49, 50-point games every week, and Clemson's down near the bottom of ACC offenses right now. Yeah, they're 121st nationally in total offense. I mean, that's crazy to think about with the talent they have and the history of success they have. But look, for whatever reason, confidence is not there. It doesn't seem you're you're, you're last in the ACC in almost every statistical category. Uh, you feel really bad for, for Brian Bercy, great player. Obviously had a fantastic true freshman season, a sophomore, uh, All-American in the preseason, well-deserved. That's a, that's a big blow to Clemson's defensive line, and you wish him – a uh, healthy recovery. I think Will Shipley's a guy that's going to have to become a consistent playmaker, and he's just a freshman now, just a freshman. But at running back, you know, it's impossible to replace a guy like Travis Etienne, one of the greatest players the game has ever seen. But I think you got to try to find some offensive balance if you're Clemson. DJ Uyangalale can obviously throw the ball. You know about Justin Ross. Uh, if you can run the ball with with uh, Shipley and some others, I think that would be a a good thing for Clemson to kind of focus on to try to get this offense going. And I do think it'll be better. Clearly, this is not what we what we had last year, the year before, the year before, et cetera. But I don't think they'll be at the bottom of these categories once the season is over. But but you got to get right. You got to get right in a hurry. And then James Skalski, one of the best linebackers in the country. Uh, but Clemson's banged up. A lot of injuries. Uh, a lot of guys that are out coming off of a loss. And, Kevin, you mentioned the point about the team goals. They are not going to the college football playoff. Uh, they, they have two losses already with a schedule that's not perceived to be a tough one. They're, they're eliminated. They're not going to the playoff. And that is after a run of six straight bids. They've made it that many years in a row. Now, it's an interesting point, Kevin, Ben, about the ACC Atlantic because you look at that division, and I think your your, your first thought, right, is, oh, man, it's the ACC Atlantic. They, they lost one game. The game to Georgia doesn't hurt them. They'll make the ACC championship. Boston College is undefeated in the ACC Atlantic. Wake Forest is undefeated in the ACC Atlantic. NC State has one loss out of conference, and they have the head-to-head over you. So not only does Clemson have to run the table, they need NC State to lose twice. And I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. So well, who yes. would have thought? Me, I mean, seriously, who who would have thought at this point that Clemson's easiest game in the Atlantic right now would be Florida State? It's a great point. It's a fantastic point. The division. Is, I mean, we know the ACC Coastal for being crazy, Ben, but the ACC Atlantic with Boston College, Wake Forest, and NC State at the top, and Clemson and Florida State at the bottom is is really something. We need to make sure we are uh, giving kudos to the teams that are that are doing what they're supposed to do and not 
feeling sorry for a team who should not be feeling sorry for itself in Clemson. Clemson, as you mentioned, BJ, six straight years, they was beating up on everybody, not just in conference but out of conference and in uh, college football playoff games and college football national championships. The factory is in Alabama. They are still building the factory in Clemson. Now, they st- they're still a really, really good football team, but if Clemson was uh, staying on schedule, we'd be like, oh, just Clemson being Clemson. No, people just think, that look, you just replace <clears throat> and plug guys in. That's not the case in Clemson. They still got big-time talent. And they're going to have to go out there and figure it out, probably blow it up, get back to bases, get away from that cute stuff. Because like I said, DJU, JT Daniels, Bryce Young, what do they all have in common? California kids coming to the South, playing big-time football, all on big-time programs, trying to lead these teams back you know, to where they've always been. Bryce Young is on schedule. JT Daniels got a great defense. And right now, even though while, while DJU got a great defense, he's not really doing his part. We'll see what happens uh, come this week. But, yeah. Clemson's going to have to go out there and figure out who they are this year. They can't live off who they used to be because, I mean, what's been in the past is not in the present. But that's why you go out there and play. Shout out to them Georgia Tech boys from showing that just because we ain't won a lot of games don't mean we can't compete with anybody. That, to me, is your most dangerous team in the ACC right now because they should have beat the teams that were supposed to be in the ACC championship game in back-to-back weeks, only beat North Carolina. But, yeah, the ACC is ACC in itself, Kevin, just not in the way we are used to it. Uh, being and looking. Uh, that's very true. I mean, again, I was going to say, Kevin, are you ready for a, uh, before we go, are you ready for a Georgia Tech, Boston College, ACC title game? I mean, it's happened before, right? I mean, it's, it's, I'm just saying it makes all the pundits like us just look completely clueless. But I mean, but I understand that. But again, on, on some level, I do like having it where it's not just the same teams every year. People say, well, why? no, you got to have Miami. No, that's how you build conference depth is to have teams capable of getting there. To me, that makes uh, conference play fun. I mean, Call me, like, anti-SEC in that regard where everybody's like, oh, it's Alabama, Georgia. It's just go ahead and write down. I mean, like, no, what are you playing the regular season for? Because any and everything uh, over in the ACC can happen, and it usually does, good or bad. And so if you know who's going to play in the ACC championship game right now, your guess is as good as mine because it is wide. Great to be here with you on 3 and Out. Kevin DJ and Ben, now time for at least one person's favorite game. Probably the guy who puts together the questions to make us sound silly. Christian Gokel playing the role of Alex Trebek as we play College Football Jeopardy here on 3 and Out. And Ben is our Ken Jennings. I was about to say. First time ever, I think. There's a reason we're having to do this, and it's because Ben Troop just absolutely massacred y'all. I mean, Ben, do you have anything to say? I don't even call them to your competitors, to the challengers, to the people who are attempting to take your throne. You know, just all those days, you know, we're reading my Encyclopedia Britannica, just really just paid <laughs> off. But no, no, no. Listen, that I, I, does I, not. I, no, that does not help you at all in these. I'm, I'm going to listen. I don't get a lot of wins on this show, so I'm just going to cherish it. I'm not going to soak right. it. I'm not going to brag and boast. Just trying to, you know, just trying to defend my crown. So, so we don't have any issues from BJ complaining that saying, hey, I'm not in the same room as you guys. BJ, can you clearly in, understand me right now? Well, I don't think the problem's on my end. Last game, I, I, I said my name before Ben a couple of times before well, we Kevin. We have Cam in here. I, I did not get the the uh, the uh, option to, to 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 answer. So that's on y'all. That's out of Cam, my hands. Cam, take the headphones, and you're going to listen, and I'm going to go to you. You're going to be my instant replay if BJ gets his name in before Ben says his name. All right? What am I, chopped liver? I'm just not getting my name in? Okay. No, but you're in the same room as. All right, go and ahead. And you never je- jump in first. I so don't. Let's I'm be bad. honest about this. All right, we have three categories, 200, 400, 600, 800, and 1,000 points in each category. All right? Nice. We have Arkansas football, Ole Miss football, and upsets mm. from college football. 
you know, kind of serendipitous coming up this weekend. Yes. I'm kind of trying to talk this number one versus number two Arkansas Ole Miss game next week into existence. Uh, but anyway, Ben, you are our returning champion. So you can start us off. Arkansas for 200. All right. They have had six head coaches that weren't interims. They've had six full-time head coaches since the year 2000, including Houston Nutt, Sam Pittman, Bobby Petrino, Chad Morris, Brett Bielema, and... Can you repeat the question, since when? The year 2000. They have had six head coaches, including Houston Nutt, Sam Pittman, Bobby Petrino, Chad Morris, Brett Bielema, and... Uh, BJ. BJ, go ahead. Uh, who is John L. Smith? That is correct. One season, 2012, went 4-8. and eight. BJ, you are on the board with 200 points. Arkansas, 400. All right. In three, con- or in three career matchups against South Carolina, this running back rushed for 727 yards. Ben. Ben, go ahead. Darren McFadden? That is correct. Wow. That is uh, just – that's rude. <laughs> no, 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 I know what it is, but, I, I mean, I don't want to be something crazy. It was actually uh, Darren McFadden Jr. Jr. Yeah. Who rushed for no, but I mean, like – he it was, was Felix three, Jones. three career yeah, yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D-Mac, D-Mac, 727 D-Mac, yards. And, and he's from Arkansas. D-Mac, D-Mac is uh, Arkansas's finest. Uh, That's give me, rude. Give me, uh, give me Arkansas for 600. All right. Arkansas's home stadium is known as DWR Razorback Stadium, but they also play games at Ben. DJ. Ben. Cam said Ben. Little Rock. The name of the stadium. <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Razorback State. I, no, that's what that's what the one I already said. Yeah, I, I don't, all right. Uh, so that's that's minus six hundred for Ben. He's at minus two hundred. Uh, Anybody else want to jump in? I will. It's Memorial Stadium, or War Memorial Stadium. There it is. All right, Kevin. Thank you very much. With staying in Arkansas category. All right. That's a trivia question. There's like six or seven colleges who all play in like some kind of war or memorial stadium. Yeah, it's war memorial. I'm glad yeah. you corrected yourself. All right. Uh, all right. So would you want 800 or 1,000? 800. All right. This quarterback owns the number one and number three passing yard seasons in Arkansas BJ. history. Kevin. Dang it. The, BJ, go ahead. Who is Ryan Mallett? That is correct. Anybody just want to throw out there who number two is? Matt Jones. Nope. Clint Sterner. Nope. Tyler Wilson. Whoa. Hey. All right, BJ, it's yours. 1,000 Arkansas. All right. Arkansas has a live Russian boar as their mascot named? Kevin. Kevin, BJ. go ahead. Tusk. Tusk is correct. <laughs> Kevin Thomas, who are, who I, I are you? I would have never got that. that I would have lost all. Yes. Cam, Cam said, how do you all know this? Cam, I tried to tell you earlier on second down. We are weird. <laughs> Well, and they have a little tusk. Let's, right. go, uh, let's go. Let's uh, go. I don't want to deal with upsets. Uh, let's go Ole Miss for 200. All right. They were one of how many founding members of the SEC? Kevin. Go ahead. Uh, eight. That is incorrect. Down to 1,400. Still in the lead. Anybody else want to hazard a guess? My next guess, if they, if you thought the buzzer would have been, is the buzzer out there? You done? Yeah, it's done. Ten. Nope. Nope. Uh, much like the United States, founding with 13 original right. members. I mean, the SEC, the most American conference there is, except for <laughs> the, the American, American Conference. conference. 
<laughs> All right, Kevin, it's still with you. I'll stay there. Let's stay there for, uh, what, 400, I guess. All right. Fans attending games in Oxford will find the speed limit to be ben, this number. Go ahead, Ben. 18 miles an hour. In honor of this legendary quarterback. Uh, Kevin. Ben. Well, he already guessed, right? No, Ben got it right. I just want to see if he can. Oh. Archie, 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 uh, Archie, Archie Manning. Manning. Yep, he didn't even need the Archie Manning clue. How'd you know that, Ben? Uh, well, I mean, I know these little weird stuff. They're like, uh, Eli wore 18. I said, why 18? Uh, he said, uh, he kept going, speed limit. I said, talk up. But, you know, <laughs> hey. I mean, it's all right, so we're all actually in the positives right now, which is a very weird spot uh, for us to be. All right, Ben, where do you want to go? Uh, what was it? Uh, we had 800? We had 600, 600, 800, 600, 600. It's been how many decades since Ole Miss won a conference championship? Kevin. Go ahead. Six. That is incorrect. What did it? Whatever. I thought their last conference championship was in. Don't blow the buzzer on, so I don't know. <laughs> wasn't there a last conference championship in like 1960s? 1963. So 73 is one, 83 is two, 93 <laughs> is three, like, you know what? That's lame. 2003 is four, Fine. 2013 <laughs> is five. We haven't gotten to the six. It will be. It, I mean, maybe. This year they're, they're playing for their shot right now, Kevin. It'll be six. So you just lost 600 points, so you're down to 800. On a technicality. Right now. On an incorrect. Uh, right now, BJ's ahead about 1,200. Ben is at 200. Kevin is at 800. Ben, the board's yours. 800. All right. He is the only number one overall pick to come out of Old Miss. Ben. Ben, go ahead. Eli Manning. That is correct. Puts Ben at 1,000. did not want to play for the Chargers. He did, and, and did not play for the Chargers. <laughs> All right, Ben, you want to finish out Ole yeah, Miss? Yeah, finish out 1,000. All right. Since the SEC split into divisions, Ole Miss has won the West how many times? Kevin. Kevin. Zero. That is incorrect. Kevin, you're at minus 200. That, that doesn't sound right to me, man. Since They've they, never been to the SEC championship since game. Since they split into divisions. Well, you already told me I was wrong. There's so. a trick question in the phraseology, perhaps? Since the SEC split into divisions. I mean, what did, they, what did they do in 2003? Did they, did they split it with somebody? They, 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 they were way into the divisions by 2003. I know they've <sighs> never been to the SEC championship game. Why else would you want divisions? Well, well, this is the thing, because in 2003, Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee all split the East. We all, we all tied for first in the East, so it can't happen. And whoever had, I guess, I don't know, however they broke it up, I think Tennessee went We could take this one out as a technicality, but technically in 2003 under David Cutcliffe, they were co-SEC West division champions. Okay, well, I mean, what? You know? If I mean, you didn't did, go to the SEC title game, if you didn't go to didn't Michigan split a national championship? If y'all want to take it out of the technicality, nah, we nah, can. No, 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 no. They, they won. They but just didn't go to Atlanta. But Coach Cut. That's, that's, I mean, that's two questions in that category <laughs> that are freaking nonsense. It's well, not nonsense. It's true. They, they won the SEC West in 2003. Okay. <laughs> I won the SEC East in 2003. I just ain't go to Atlanta. You know. So. There you go. <laughs> All right, keep going. All right, we'll, we'll move on. I think I've still upset, been. Upset, you know what? what I am I, in this just, game. Just to make it more fun, I'm going to say that last one doesn't count because Kevin was was thinking with 
My brain. Players will no players or teams will play in the championship Jesus game. Oh, but we're talking about winning divisions here. <laughs> well, right. Obviously, only one team per division can go to the championship yes. game, but multiple teams and can we win call the division. Those teams that don't go the loser because there's a reason they didn't go, and it wasn't because they they lost on tiebreakers, which makes them losers. Go ahead. They won the SEC West in two thousand. No, Carry on. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, upsets for uh, for two hundred. All right, these are upsets from the year twenty twenty one. So these should be real fresh in your minds. All the college football you guys consume. All right, go ahead. In week one, this top ten team could only muster ten ben. points in their upset loss. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, they can only muster ten points in their upset loss? Oh, my God. Do you want me to finish the question? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. To an unranked conference foe. Dude, that's not how that works. That's opening it back up for everybody. BJ. Go ahead, BJ. Who's North Carolina? That is correct. 400. I'm trying to, like, can I do that honestly for the fans that are playing along? Because Ben's got a bad okay. habit that, yeah. of, of jumping in before I finish the question. But he's got to make right. an answer if he says do you want, he's in. Do you want me to take 200 no, points no, away from yes, him? Yes, I do. Because I gave you 1,000 yeah. back. No, you didn't. You yes, said it I didn't did. count. I gave you 1,000 back. This top 20 SEC school gave up 260 yards on the ground in their double-digit loss to an unranked Power 5 foe. This top 20 SEC school gave up 260 yards on the ground in their double-digit loss to an SEC or a, to an unranked BJ. Power 5 foe. Go ahead, BJ. Who is LSU? That is correct. We a bit of controversy when we played Jeopardy here no controversy. on 3 and I'm right. Ole Miss has SEC West Division Champs 2003 painted on their stadium, so I'm right. Well, that's All the right. problem. For, who, who's up here? I think uh, it's still Ben. It's Ben. This it's top, or is it BJ? This top matter. 15 team could only muster 256 total yards in a 19-point loss on the road to an unranked team. BJ, BJ go ahead. That is correct. BJ has 2,200 points. All right. This preseason top five team suffered their second loss of the early season to an unranked school that only picked up 281 total yards. BJ. Go ahead. That, that is incorrect. BJ is down 800. So it's top five up. teams that can only muster what? They, oh, uh, who is uh? What's that again? Say the whole thing. Again. This preseason top five team suffered their second loss of the early season to an unranked school that only picked up 281 total yards. Suffered their second loss. Ooh, top five. Do 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 do. Iowa State. Iowa State. Losing to the Baylor. That's right. what threw me because I didn't think they were preseason For a 1,000, this preseason top 15 team lost their second game of the season to an unranked team, turning the ball over four times at home, but they did get a 388-yard performance from their quarterback. Ben. Ben, go ahead. Oh, 388. Oh, no. <laughs> God. 300, hold on, 388 yards at home to it. What? Say it, say it, because you were saying it Okay, fast. the preseason. Does Alex Trebek get this, to reread the questions on Jeopardy? This preseason top 15 team lost their second game of the season to an unranked team, turning the ball over four times at home, but got a 388-yard performance from their quarterback. I gave you so many context clues in there. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State? Oh, God, Ben. No, you were down to zero. Uh, go ahead, BJ. Oh, no. You're lucky Ben jumped in there. Bam, bam. Indiana. Who is Miami? Miami. Losing to Michigan State. We got to go to break. Our champion, B.J. Bennett. I filed this whole thing under protest. With 1,400 points. Oh, Kevin, I still gave him 1,000, and he still lost. 
I mean, even if I gave you the two hundred you're complaining about, you would have still lost. Would I've been dead last? You're not last. Ben's I'll, last. I've been co-champions, right? Ben's last. No, you still you still would have been second place. I, mean, coach, I can hang a banner in my office. You we'll still would have been second place. I'm just going to keep corner. talking over you. I'm done yeah, with this good. crap. Nope, I'm still here. <laughs> Southern Pigs get ready now. Yep. Good to have you back here, hour two. I think I've calmed down from my Jeopardy loss. At least I know BJ was on my side for a couple of those. I was, and I also got confused late because I, I thought I misheard a question. So Christian corrected me on that. Uh, but listen, listen, Jeopardy is no joke. You got to be ready to go, Kevin. I think, you know, when, when Alex Trek was doing he didn't reread the question. He didn't go, hey, for 2000 and Italian uh, literature. Blah, 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 blah. Steve, yes. I'm sorry, Alex. Could you repeat the question? No, Steve. I need an answer. Eh, move it along. That's what you have to do. If you didn't hear the answer. You don't, you, don't, you don't question the host of the game. Just play the game. Of course you question the host of the game. If he is not to be questioned, what is he doing there? Oh, oh Kevin said, Kevin said, no. <laughs> Basically, Kevin says, where's your manager? No, I want to speak to the manager because you are incompetent, sir. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just want to get down there that you said it's okay to question the host. So here I am, Kevin, questioning you. (laughs) (laughs) Question me. Does or does not Ole Miss have painted inside of their stadium SEC West Division Champions 2003? Hey, if they want to act like posers, that's not my problem. That's not the the answer to the question, Kevin. They didn't go to the SEC Championship Is it true or false that they have that painted in there? Something can be true, true and wrong or false? at the same time. Is it true or false? It's, apparently it's true. They're wrong. All right, then. So you sit there, <laughs> and you take the 1,000 points that I gave you out of the kindness of my heart, and guess what? You still lost. It's fine. Even I'll, if I gave you the 200 points you didn't deserve, I, I deserve. you'd still lose. <laughs> yeah, then, but, yeah, Kevin, if you would wait Kevin's till gonna, the end of a question, wouldn't have lost. Miami. Yeah, but Kevin's going to take his loss and not go to the SEC championship game. He's going to watch it as he should. Yes, I maybe I. I don't know that Kevin is going to watch it based off some of those answers. I can I can spray paint it and hang it in my office, and I can call myself a champion. No, you can't because you didn't tie with BJ. (laughs) Just make it up as we go. It's fine. Let's take three. That we can do here on three. Yeah, Lord knows you can't do Jeopardy. (laughs) A lot of angst here on the show today. I'm just asking. I'm just asking for the rules to be administered correctly. That's all. Even if it still costs me a game, it's fine. Take one. Do we need a new Jeopardy host? No, I'm just kidding. Take one. Brian Kelly passed Newt Rockney as the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. But where does he rank in the pantheon of great coaches? Yeah, this is a tough one because, I mean, to accomplish what he's accomplished at, at, at Notre Dame is incredible. I mean, absolutely remarkable, and, and he's definitely an all-time great. But I think when you talk about Tier 1, right, of whoever you want to put in that, and obviously right now, I mean, Nick Saban is even far far and ahead away of a guy like Dabo Swinney right now in college football. Uh, I, I think you, get, you, you probably have to have a national championship to be in Tier 1. And that, you know, maybe not, maybe, you know, your macro totals. I mean, to be the all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame is an accomplishment that that clearly stands out, and he's definitely an all-time great. 
But I think to be in that top tier, and I'll be interested to see what you think, Ben, I think you have to have a national championship. So for me, I'll say I'll say tier two. I mean, it's incredible what he's done in Notre Dame. I understand when you talk about that brand equity, the, the biggest brand in college football is Notre Dame, when you talk about how they are recognized nationally and winning a lot of games is hard to do when you talk about not having that longevity that most coaches have. But great, no. Notre Dame really, really rolls to the beat of their own drum. They don't even have to be, they're not even contractually obligated to be in the uh, conference that they agreed to be in in every other sport, not named football. So, yes, they've done some incredible things. Notre Dame has had some incredible moments, but Coach Keller being great compared to who? I mean, Dabo Sweeney got two. Ogeron got one. Les Miles got one. Jimbo Fisher got one. I mean, uh, Nick, Nick Saban got a grip of them. And you mean to tell me he's in that category? No, he's not. He's not. Because you can't say he's great, but what happened in the next? Well, you know, no. Because that's the case. What I mean, what uh, uh, Chip Kelly, wasn't Chip Kelly the head coach of Oregon when they went to the national championship? Is he in the same, is he in the same category as Kelly? No, I understand what they're trying to do. And I know that when it comes to Notre Dame, it's like just because they're in their own conference and they got their regular season to go off of, and they're only going to be in the ACC when it's all SEC uh, COVID-stricken season. No, Coach Kelly is an incredible coach. Great? Mm, depends on who you ask. You're asking me, and I would say he is not in that category because greatness is either BJ is, is great versus best. If he's, is he one of the best coaches? Absolutely. Great? No. I mean, they've never won the national championships and Coach Kelly has been there. I don't care how many they've been in. They got the break speed off them when they did be in them. I know it's Notre Dame, and I know you're not supposed to say anything against touchdown Jesus, but I'm sorry. God forgive me. He ain't great. It's just, it's just not. I mean, I understand how hard it is to win there, but you got to win a national championship first before you put you in that category. And there's too many coaches in college football that have won one. You know, uh, for me to try to put him in the same category as them, I'm going to have to say not great to me. I would say, I mean, he's won more than Newt Rockney, but would people consider him a better coach than Newt Rockney at Notre Dame? I don't think so. Would you? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, at the end all be all. You want that national title. Would would Brian Kelly be considered a better coach than Lou Holtz at Notre Dame? No. I don't think so. No. I, I mean, I think by sticking by that national championship talk, that's that's where we're going. All right, now moving along, take two. What is the perfect time slot for a big game? All right, I'm going to say this, but I'm also going to explain that I hate when games start this late, but I think it's the 7.30, 8 o'clock slot. And it is really, really tough because – All of us with our favorite teams waiting for kickoff. There's just an an anxiety and apprehension where it's like, you know, oh, we're going to lose and I have to sit here all day and wait for it and then stay up all night. And it ruins my next day. It's hard to play while you're waiting forever. I mean, there are a few uh, stretches of time that go slower than a a college football Saturday afternoon when your team plays at 8 o'clock. Five hours feels like 24 hours. But... When you are playing a night game, and I say this watching it, listening to it, or being there, the atmosphere is just different. It just is. And I've been to night games at, you know, Clemson, at South Carolina, at Georgia, at Florida State, at Auburn. The night games are are different. And there's an excitement, really, even if you're not playing a big-time opponent. Like, if you're playing a a G5 school that may not be very good, if you play them at noon, the atmosphere is going to be, you know, fairly regular. It'll be... It'll be a you know fun thing to go to, but it's not the same thing. If you're playing that exact same team at eight o'clock, it's a 
game that has a national feel. There's just something about being under the lights, and there are downsides to it. You got to wait all day. But then again, if you're at the game, you can tailgate and have a good time and all that stuff, walk around. But to me, for a big game, big game, it needs to be under the lights at night, 7.30, 8 o'clock. BJ, I could not disagree with you more. I understand that that night atmosphere is different, but to me, I think it is the 3.30 kickoff. I think when you wake up in the morning as a college athlete and a college fan, you know, you you understand game day and all these different things, and you want to get those early games in because you want to be that feature game, you know, in between that uh, that 1 o'clock kickoff and that 7 o'clock game. I think 3.30 is the perfect time. You're talking about waking up just ready to go, raring to go. You still get to go into those game plans. You, you still get to kind of kind of have a little normalcy. You, as, a, as, a, as a fan, as, as a player, you get to kind of watch uh, college football throughout the day because you know, hey, man, let's get ready, let's get ready for that 3.30 kickoff. And that's and to me, that's football. It's hot. It's muggy. There is, I mean, home field advantage really is not going to matter. Both teams are raring to go. I mean, you are already antsy. I mean, if it was up to a player, you'll wake up, you know, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning and just get in. But it's just that anticipation of looking forward to that team you got going, and everybody want to see who's who. And you got, you're gonna get more, you're gonna get more viewers to me at 3:30, because I mean, I'm speaking for myself. The later the game is in the day, the harder it's gonna be for me to sit there and watch the whole thing. I mean, it seems like those commercials are just way much, way more when you're talking about those late games. But that 3:30 kickoff, it don't get no better than that, man. I mean, when you talk about what college football is, having those two uh, hopefully great teams trying to, you know, add to that win column. So I'm gonna always go with 3:30. I think I could be wrong, but in 2002, I think that was the only Florida Georgia game played that night. Now I did go our way. We appreciate the dub, but waiting all day to play that is agony. I want to get it done. And this is another thing, too. I know I know this is selfish. I want to enjoy my Saturday. I want to go out there and play and go home and kind of feel like a college student, go celebrate and do something. I got to go play and go home? That's ridiculous. No, man, give me give me 3.30, get it over by 7.30, get back to the get back to the crib, even if you got to fly and, you know, try to have a nice little night out. Just saying. That's, to me, I, it's like not three. It's 4 o'clock. I'll tell you why. And I'm very specific. SEC kind of does it because the 3.30 game doesn't really kick off to, like, 3.45, really. But I'm going to say 4 o'clock. Once you get past, like, this week and next week, get to mid-October later on, it's 4 o'clock. Why? Because you have sunlight. You get the shadows in the stadium. The game starts in the daytime. It ends in the dark. And you got the windows open at the house. The cool breeze blowing, watching football. Perfect time. And you're still awake to eat dinner and all that. You don't have to worry about staying up till midnight to watch the end of another game. 4 p.m., Mid-season on, 4 p.m., best time. Starting the day, in so the I'm night. I'm confirming the 30 minutes from Ben's 3.30. Yes. To your pool. Okay. <laughs> yes. Makes all the difference Daylight in the savings. world. Daylight savings. Makes all right. the difference in the world, 100%. Moving along, take three. Which team will be in a completely different place by the end of the season? I think it's Clemson. Now, I felt that they were going to be better than they were on Saturday, and that was not the case. And I think there's a difference in winning a close game and losing a close game. You know, a lot of people have said, well, Clemson really didn't play all that different against Georgia Tech compared to how they played against NC State. Well, yeah, they did because they won. And at the end of the day, weeks from now, much less years from now, nobody's going to look back at the Georgia Tech-Clemson game and go, oh, man, Clemson had to get a goal line stand, and then they almost fumbled the ball on their own. It's a win. You You don't care why. Uh, But I think there's just something out of place with Clemson. They're not – I don't think they look confident. They've had some injuries. And Clemson right now is a 500 football team. If they finish this season at 500, I will be stunned. And I'm not saying they're going to go to the Orange Bowl, 
but they're not out of it in the ACC Atlantic. I think they're probably still the most talented team in the ACC and probably by a wide margin. Um, look, the Georgia loss was tough for them. I think it kind of kind of limited their overall kind of progression. I think the further you get away from that, get some guys healthy. I know uh, Brazil is out for the season, unfortunately, but I think they're going to they're going to break out, and I think once they have that big game where they score 35 points, it's going to come naturally. So I expect Clemson to be probably back in the top 20, maybe even the top 15 at some point. I don't think they'll lose, you know, maybe one more. But I, I, certainly they're not going to be 123rd in the nation in offense at the end of the regular season. That would be inexplicable. So I expect Clemson to bounce back to a certain extent. I think for me, I think it's going to be Georgia Tech. I think when you look at Georgia Tech the last two weeks and how they've been able to play, still, I mean, Clemson is still, the, uh, you know, uh, the creme de la creme in the ACC, regardless of what type of season they have and what they was able to do against North Carolina. This team is building momentum. This team is building confidence, and I think Jeff Collins is vying to be potentially the ACC Coach of the Year if he can find it, if he can find a way to get four more wins to get into that six win column. I know it's not going to be easy with, with you know, with, with big games coming up, but I just think that this team is doing is doing something they weren't doing before the season, and that's they bought in. You got to buy in, and then the confidence comes later. I think when you look at the fact of how they played last week, I mean, you look at a coach, you look at a guy like Sims, you look at a guy like Gibbs, and how that defense is playing. I think that I think that they found a way to go out there and find their identity on offense. It's going to be a run heavy, you know, offense more. We're trying to you know go over the top with with a complimentary passing game with a dual threat quarterback and Jeff Sims. So for me, give me Georgia Tech. I think they're going to be a totally different team by the end of the season because they built confidence the last two weeks. Definitely the recent week with North Carolina. Mine might be uh, going the other direction. I think it's going to be Arkansas. Uh, top 10 team right now. They still have Georgia. They still have Alabama. They still have LSU uh, to play in a, a rivalry game. They still have Ole Miss. I think at the end of the year, we'll be talking about the win against Texas A&M and the win against Texas, but I think we'll be looking at an Arkansas team that's sitting there maybe 8-4, and four, much improved, but certainly not in the top 10 where they're sitting right here uh, going into Georgia this weekend. So basically, you're calling for them to go 500 the rest of the way. Schedule is tougher. Schedule is I, I, tougher. I, I think it's, look, I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying how many weeks do you expect them to continue to play up? Are they better? Yes. Can they beat Alabama? Can they beat Georgia? Can they beat Auburn? Can they beat Ole Miss? Can they beat LSU? Can they do all that and play at that level? And is Texas A&M? Might Texas A&M be a team that we could have said in that category as well? Backup quarterback. Really didn't look that good against Colorado. Already lost to Arkansas. That was a top five team, top six, seven team preseason. Might we be looking at Jimbo Fisher's squad saying, man, we thought y'all were a contender. Y'all got three, four losses. But I'm going to go with Arkansas right now. Everybody's talking about them. I think come into the year, we'll look at eight and four and say, hey, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Based on a couple of the wins they got. Maybe ahead of schedule for Sam Pittman, but certainly not top ten category like they are right now. I mean, if I had if I had a one B, I mean, I try to stay away from it because I'm not trying to say anything uh, negative about this team when I'm having to play. Uh, you know, uh, my Gators this weekend, but Kentucky. I mean, right now, BJ, I think Kentucky is, is undefeated right now. Got a big win against South Carolina. I mean, Coach Stoops doesn't get enough credit. Mr. Rodriguez, I mean, come on down. The young man is putting up Kevin Harris, Najee Harris-type numbers right now when you look at what he's doing. But will we will we get to the end of the season and start saying, okay, maybe they overachieved because people couldn't see maybe that Will Levis kind of having the opening, you know, the opening uh, weeks he did to open up the month of uh, September. Will we? Be? So I think at the end of the season, they'll get kind of back to more of what we used to them seeing, uh, kind of like a, a 500-type team but right but so far so good undefeated right now with Florida coming to town but I think by the end by the season's end that's gonna be a, a total different story. 
I think both of those are fair. I mean, the SEC schedule is just so brutal, and that's the challenge. you got to bring it week to week. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at this time. We'll come back. We'll switch gears momentarily. We'll talk about uh, the Ryder Cup. Rich Stiles, the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us. America dominating that event uh, and doing some things they haven't done in a long, long time. We'll come back and talk to that. It's three and out. Good to have you here on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas here with you. We chat every Tuesday, a little golf with our next guest, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Rich Stiles joins us here on three and out. Rich, welcome. How are you? Well, guys, just finished up on the 18th hole, but not at Whistling Straits. Yeah, I, it's unfortunate we couldn't all be there again. The Ryder Cup, just such a different uh, atmosphere than you get from a regular week-to-week golf tournament in the United States. Dominated uh, this thing, Rich. Uh, didn't lose a session for the first time in 44 years, 19-9. to For folks that kind of don't follow that format in the Ryder Cup, I mean, how dominant was uh, Team USA in this thing? Well, biggest domination since 1979. The streak was nine prior to, as far as losing by, U.S. lost in Paris by seven, which was a humiliation for them because of the way that they played and the way the Europeans played. But what the Europeans did in Paris is what the U.S. did here. They picked players who could play the course, not necessarily players who were on a hot streak, and that's what Stricker did And the six rookies that he picked scored 14 points. DJ scored five. Hence, there's your 19 points. Just a great pick as far as in a great team. And these guys are going to be together 15 years. Yeah, it's truly amazing because I know for a while there it was uh, have the Americans lost their way in the Ryder Cup, not competing very well. And as you said, kind of the embarrassment of losing and not finishing on Sunday to have it bounce back. And you really had a... Uh, a, a good dynamic of personalities. And we talked about Bryson versus other guys out there, but in, in some of the cases, he kind of stole some of the some of the show there, going out there driving some 470-yard uh, greens, 417-yard drive, I think, on, on one hole. I mean, how does having a guy that in a team competition willing to just – I mean, because if it goes badly trying to do that, it can go very badly, but uh, kind of having the, uh, I guess, the uh, the guts to do that in a format like that. Well, you know, Bryson is one of those guys where he has taken so long to build himself up and to build his body up and to build up his golf game and be able to do those kind of things. And, you know, part of that is individualistic and part of that is for his own performance of what he wants to do. But, you know, he played a team player just like everybody else did. Um, The U.S. team, I think, came together like the European teams used to. And it was there from the beginning. And they were all talking about two weeks ago, even during practice, uh, you know, that they were able to pull together as a team. And they knew two weeks ago that, that this thing was going to be better because they were clicked. They were ready. They wanted to run the score up. Their goal on Sunday was not to let down, but to put their foot on the pedal and get 20 points. They ended up getting 19 I mean, these kids are just incredible. Their mental is strong. Their game is even better. And they just took it to the Europeans. And came away a little bit dejected, very emotional, uh, especially for some of the older guys. Uh, Rory did not play well at all. Um, they needed him to play well. John Rahm played fantastically, um, but... 
not many other people did on the European team. Rich, how have you kind of seen that evolve here over the last uh, handful of uh, years with this thing? Because it seemed like, much like uh, potential other all-star type events, it got a little stale, and maybe some of the golfers on tour didn't care as much about if they played on the team or not. And now it's turned into a rock, like if, whether it's played here in the United States or, uh, you know, in, in uh, Europe or Great Britain. Like the fans are getting into this thing, and there's a kind of passion and energy about actually wanting to go compete, put on a show, and win this thing. Well, I think the big thing is is that the Europeans are raised to want to make the Ryder Cup team. And that's very evident in the way that they that they play it, the way that they emotionally are into it, the way they, you know, some of them cried afterwards. And the U.S. players are geared to win majors, most of all the Masters. The Ryder Cup is an extra, but I think now with the way that the U.S. played and the way that the U.S. team dominated this year and the way that the U.S. team is going to have these seven, eight, nine players for the next 10 to 12 years, I think there is no doubt in, in my mind or in a lot of other people's mind that the U.S. is going to be a dominant player in a Ryder Cup no matter where it's played, anywhere else, because they have brought the fire back to the Ryder Cup, which I think has been lacking in previous years with the U.S. team. Rich Styles, the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us here on Three and Out. Rich Jordan Spieth, maybe the shot of uh, the entire Ryder Cup. I know people have seen it uh, went viral, basically on the side of a cliff, uh, yeah. able to pop the ball straight up in the air. I think they put like the little tracker on the ball, goes straight up in the air, like a hundred feet straight up, and lands it. You know, like ten feet from the hole. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it really was, and uh, not only was the shot unbelievable. Uh, that's what he planned to do, which is even more unbelievable. <laughs> then the key, if you watched afterwards, which I thought was kind of interesting, you talk about an athlete, then he started running like a running back, trying to avoid sand traps, going downhill, and he almost landed up in Lake Michigan. <laughs> I mean, that was I think the shot was fantastic, but I think his recovery was even better. Yeah, truly, uh, I know he's had his ups and downs uh, out there on tour, Rich, but good to see him kind of pull off some of that magic that we saw early in his career when he uh, came out and you know, was winning the Masters. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I see teamwork in this U.S. team that I have not seen in many others over the years, and, and it showed. I mean, it showed in the way that they played, the way that they cheered on each other, their emotion and everything. I just thought it was Rich Stiles, our guest here on 3 and Out. Rich, uh, fun watching Team USA go out there and dominate. Always a pleasure having you here on the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. Well, guys, I appreciate you letting me on. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Go USA. Hey, will do. Rich Stiles, our guest here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more 3 and Out here on this Tuesday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to be here on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. will hear from Sean Bedford, Georgia Tech. Radio Network, also former Georgia Tech O-lineman. No, we'll talk about the Yellow Jackets, their win over North Carolina. How does that set them up uh, the rest of the way to, even in a loss to Clemson, a better performance than followed that up with a dominating win over North Carolina? Drew Darman, uh, ESPN, The Zone, in Huntsville will join us. Coming up, we'll look at a uh, big weekend there with Alabama and Ole Miss coming up on the docket as well. But, uh, Ben, obviously a lot of coaching uh, stuff in the news. USC has already fired their coach. Chad Lunsford, of course, at Georgia Southern got fired uh, earlier this week or actually over the weekend uh, following a Georgia Southern loss. And 
we're seeing it now. I think there's been three or four coaches already fired before the first month of the season has gotten completed yet. Where are we at here with coaches, and why are we not, again, most of these programs said we're not going to get a coach till the season's over. Why are we starting to see the quick hooks from some of these teams so, so, so frequently here? Because most of these teams are living in perception. The reality will never match We'll never match it, and I think we are moving the finish line. BJ, something I was talking to you about during the break. What are you paying for? Like when you talk about the situation with Coach Lunsford, what Okay, you fired him because he wasn't he was underachieving. He got a kid at the top of the, at the top of us catching beers. I get that part, but Coach Lunsford more than lived up to his contract. More than lived up to it, going from double digit win. I mean, double digit losses, double digit wins. I think they fired Coach Lunsford because he has not competed in a Sun Belt championship. But I say that to say, what what do these ads really want? If you at USC, you think you're finna get a coach that's finna take you back to the yesteryears? No. At Florida State, what are you really paying for in Coach Norvell? Do you want to compete for ACC championships, or do you want Florida State to be nationally relevant? The two do, do, do the two are not the same. I think that when you talk about college football right now, right now, the biggest underachiever in the SEC, as far as coaches, is what they're paying for is Jimbo Fisher. He was brought there to compete for SEC West crowns and to go to the SEC championship game. He hasn't done it. You know who lived up to their contracts? Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. Their job, reinvent, the, bring in new offenses, be exciting, have, a, have an exciting egg bowl. Lane Kiffin right now is actually overachieving. You better stop doing all this winning because they're going to switch it to, okay, now we want to win. Now we want to win natties. I, I'm, I'm just always curious. BJ, we was looking at contracts. You know, we ain't counting people's money. Dan Mullen lost the last three games of the season, and he makes, you know, it's almost $8 million. They gave him an extension to win. I mean, uh, I mean, they gave him an extension because of what he's already done. So my question is, what are you paying for? Are you paying Nick Saban the same amount? Are you paying, you know, Dan Mullen the same reason why you're paying Nick Saban? Are you paying Kirby Smart the same reason why, you know, you're paying, you know, uh, a coach day? I think certain coaches get paid because they have to keep their teams relevant, win the championship, and, uh, and ultimately go to the college football playoff. Whereas other coaches, you just need to win six wins and stay relevant in the national conversation. So, I mean, I mean, BJ, I mean, I'll turn it over to you. It's like at the end of the day, you obviously, BJ, you want Florida State to do well. Do you want a Deion Sanders because you think he boosts the reputation of Florida State, or do you think a Deion Sanders can help y'all get back into the national conversations and win a natty? I think the answer is both. Um, you know, it it is a good overarching question to ask what. What do you want when you hire a football coach? Because I think, and, and you asked me about Florida State, I think for schools like Florida State and Miami and SC and Nebraska, who may have a new coach at the end of the year, I think there's a kind of an unrelenting challenge of living up to what you used to be. And that's a really hard metric. I mean, you think about Miami, for example, and I think I said this a few days ago, the perception around Miami is that they are just terrible. Like a lot of people right now are saying Florida State and Miami, Miami and Florida State. And I don't think those are fair. Uh, that's a fair parallel for Miami. I mean, Miami was in a New Year's Six bowl game a couple of years ago. Miami was in the national top 10 a couple of years ago. They were in the national top 15 a couple of weeks ago. Florida State lost to Jacksonville State on one of the craziest endings we've ever seen. Florida State is what? Missed bowl games three out of the last four years. So I think where you are and where you're perceived to be can sometimes be a little bit different because I can't count how many times I've heard Florida State and Miami, Florida State and Miami. And to me, they're in different places. I think Miami is a much more consistent winner right now, whether it was the end of the Mark Richt era or the beginning of the Manny Diaz era, compared to Florida State, who is one of what, only six or seven 
teams in the FBS right now without a win. Uh, and, and, and then you look at SC, for example. SC had Clay Helton, who had a winning record with the Trojans and had a couple of really good years. But what's the expectation, Ben? Like you said, is it Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush? Because if your expectation is Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush, you're never getting there. That's never going to happen again. That was a once in a, in a, in a, in a what, 100-year dynasty? When you think about Florida State with Bobby Bowden, you finished in the top four for 14 straight years without exception. If that's your standard, that's never coming back. That's not coming back. Miami of, of 01, 02, maybe the two greatest teams we've ever seen. If that's the standard, that's, that's not reality. So, so it's like you said, when you hire a coach, are you hiring a coach to move forward or are you hiring a coach to look in the rearview mirror and hopefully bring the past back to the present? I think that's a tough element that, that's kind of hard to process when you talk about schools like Florida State, Miami, SC, and Nebraska. Because but in some ways, BJ, you're always chasing your tail doing that, though, right? I mean, that, that, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I mean, Ben, you were at Florida, what, you're, you know, one of your years, you guys got off to a slow start. I, I, I think when that's the standard, even if it's just kind of subconscious, mm-hmm. I think it makes I, I think it makes moving forward more difficult. I'm just saying, I mean, when, when Kevin always talking about pages in college football. I'm, I'm going to give you a name and I'm going to tell you why it's not the same. You know, it, it's very, it's very, very like foggy. Kirby Smart. We look at Kirby Smart now. Do you know what Kirby Smart did his first year at, Florida, I mean, at Georgia? He lost to Vanderbilt. He lost to Ole Miss. He lost to Georgia Tech. He lost to, he lost to Florida. And he lost to Tennessee. So you telling me to – so when you look at – when you look at – when you look that, – that, that's, that's his first year at, at Georgia. Now, I'm not – now, I'm pretty – now, obviously where he is now, what, what, I, what I am saying is before the season kicks off, 100 and – 120 schools should be left alone because only 10 of them can win the natty. So if you're a part of that 120, leave us alone. We are competing for bowl games, staying relevant, and hopefully trying to win our conference. But the thing about USC, they're expecting to win it all. When? How? The best team in the Pac-12 is Oregon. That is the best team in the Pac-12. They're the most recent team to go to a national championship. They're the most recent team to beat a top 10 team. And right now I think they're ranked in the top 10. If you talk about the Big Ten, outside of, big, I mean, outside of uh, Ohio State, I mean, Michigan is a big brand. So is Penn State. And so is Michigan State. So I just think that when you talk about coaching in, in, in college football, what do you want? Like, like what do you want? Because I think that what you hired me for changed when I got there because sometimes I'm a better coach than what you thought I was or I'm not as good as the coach you thought I was. But at the end of the day, I could be potentially fulfilling my obligation and still get fired because in your mind, we can do better. That is not always the case. If Jeff Collins gives us six wins – this season, he deserves an extension because he is doing his job. Now, it, it probably didn't happen as fast as you want if you root for Georgia Tech, but what do you think is going to happen when, when the recruiting is, is running rampant and you got to deal with these top one, top two recruiting class in the country? I just think that if you are AD, you be lying to yourself because you're like, man, he's doing what you paid him for. Yeah, but, you know, we didn't win it all last year. We didn't win it all, never. So I think we're good enough. So I, I'm just saying it's, it's always, you know, Dan Muller gets extension from losing. Jimbo Fisher gets extension for potential, and uh, and uh, Nick Saban actually gets extension because he won it all. I just think what 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 is the barometer at this point? That's all. I mean, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Again, I, you look at some of these guys, and uh, BJ, there's now countless examples of programs that were once very very good, got to a point where very good or good to very good wasn't good enough. 
and they're still trying to get there. Tennessee, Nebraska, to name a few programs who are once very, very good, very, very relevant, and they've been coach after coach after coach after coach after coach trying to get back to the, quote, glory days, and it, it, it hasn't happened. It all started when good wasn't good enough. And I think you're seeing that with Florida State a little bit. Got to the end of the Bobby Bowden years. Nope. Got it. And say what you want. I think they kind of forced Bobby to be done. Then you got Jimbo, and Jimbo kind of left him in a bad way. But then you have to obviously rebuild. Willie Taggart gets, what, a season and a half? You may not get two seasons out of, out of the current guy, uh, the way things are going uh, there at Florida State. So uh, no patience at all. Uh, and we've seen it time and time. Some of the best coaches we've seen are program builders, and you can't do that in a season or two. I mean, Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden, program builders. Can't, can't just show up and say, Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden, you're winning us a championship. Neither one of them would have made it through five or six years of their contract if, if that were the case. And there you go down to some of the most legendary coaches that the game has ever seen in college football. Well, this is something that, that is, is hard to think about when you look at a schedule. And like we've talked about, you look at the schedule, even moving forward in this season, and you go, yep, that's a win for my team. That's a win. That's a win. Maybe we lose that one. Everybody in the SEC, in a conference like the SEC, feels that way. Everybody does. And, it, and, it, and it's like going back to your, to your point about Arkansas. Arkansas is in the top ten. Arkansas has one of the best resumes in the country. But when you look at their schedule, still coming up, you've already made it through a month. You still have Alabama. You still have LSU. You still have Auburn. You still have Georgia. You, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And at some point, the losses have to come from somewhere. And, like, when you look in the West, well, Alabama's not losing. Auburn doesn't think they should lose. LSU doesn't think they should lose. Ole Miss doesn't think they should lose. Uh, uh, you know, they should lose. Arkansas's in the top ten. So is Mississippi State going to be the only team that loses? Because they don't think they should lose. And at some point – to your point, Kevin, you have to give it time to grow. And, you know, Florida State fired Willie Taggart far too soon. Uh, I, you know, we'll see with Mike Norvell. But you even saw a press conference from Mike Norvell yesterday where he basically got up and was emotional and said, look, we are working hard. We're moving in the right direction. And, Ben, I know you said sometimes the best way to kind of measure success isn't always just winning and losing games. You have to look at kind of the totality of a program, and that takes time. It does, and that's a great point about Kirby Smart because Kirby Smart is one of the best coaches in the country. Had Georgia on the verge of a national championship. In his first season, they lost to Vanderbilt, and they almost lost to Nichols State at some point in there. And, you know, had some – I mean, Georgia in recent years has had close games with Georgia Southern in overtime. You have to give these coaches time, and I think that's a great question. I think when you're an athletic director, if you ask yourself, what are my expectations for my coach – I, I think there has to be kind of an element of, for programs like Florida State, programs like Miami, of reality that it might take a couple of years. It probably will take a couple of years. And, Kevin, you go back to talking about chasing your own tail. If you do that with chasing your own shadow, you're going to do that changing coaches every couple of years. And it kind of becomes this combustible thing that I think has happened to Tennessee, that has happened at Florida State. You have to give guys time. I mean, look at look at anything you do with other people. It, you know, your first couple of months on the job, are you as good, are you as in rhythm, in tune with your coworkers as you are a couple of years later? All of this takes time. I think that's a very fair point, Ben. I mean, I know, I know, we I know we got to get out of here in one second. I know we had, you know, in the break we had a, we had a question, right? And I, and I get sick of this. I get yeah. sick of this. 
We can bring it up when we come back. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to jump right into it. And and no disrespect to the GOAT, but I got to come at you. All right, we'll come back. Well, we we did get a question for Ben off air. We'll get to that when we return here on. Good to have you along here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. Sean Bedford, Drew DeArmond, going to join us. We're talking Georgia Tech, Alabama, Ole Miss coming up in the final hour of the program here on this Tuesday. But Ben got a question uh, during the break. And, of course, uh, wanted to get your thoughts. They asked to get your thoughts. Uh, Colin Coward said he thought LeBron would have been great in the NFL. He's a better athlete than Jordan. But he wants to know, how does he know he would like getting hit? in the National Football League, and can he catch? I mean, he probably can catch. I mean, I, I, I saw they put up his high school highlights. He was a big-time, you know, talent coming out of, you know, coming out of the state of Ohio. But I'm tired of this disrespect for my position. First, Tim Tebow can do it. <laughs> not, not so much as Tim Tebow. is a pretty good athlete. Keep himself in shape. And, BJ, I know you think, oh, 6'8", 250 pounds. 6'8", 250 pounds in the NBA, you are a monster. 6'8", 250 pounds in the NFL, you're just another player. I know. we've And we've seen basketball players play in the NFL. Seen Tony Gonzalez, right? Seen Jimmy Graham. Uh, you saw seen Antonio Gates. But these guys came right out of college and into the NFL. I'm sorry. I love LeBron, and he would be a solid tight end. He would not dominate. I'm sorry, man. They're going to get used to him. And the one thing about it is, can he deal with getting hit over and over and over and over and over again? I, I see him I see him having, you know, a pretty decent, you know, career as far as, like, tight ends go because it's a passing league, and guys can go out there and put up big numbers. But dominating? No. No, there's a reason why only two and three guys dominate at their given position every single year. There's a reason why you only have all pros, you know, with certain guys each year. It's not going to be that year in and year out. So I love you, LeBron. You are the GOAT. Do not take this the wrong way. But hell no, you're not <laughs> going to be a dominant tight end in the NFL. 6'8", 250 pounds. I think Jimmy Graham is 6'6", 6'7", 265. So, so Jimmy Graham is one inch less tall, than, uh, one inch shorter than uh, LeBron and, give, and 15 pounds heavier. All I'm saying is, BJ, do I think LeBron could play? Yes. Do I think he would dominate? No. I mean, I kind of question if I should have an opinion on this. Oh, no, you had an opinion. Come on. No, no, this is what I'm saying. No, I do. What I'm saying is, though, when Ben's talking about it from the standpoint of having played, that's a hard thing for me to kind of match uh, following up his take. But, yeah, man, I think I think LeBron would dominate. I do. I, I think, you know, you're talking about a guy that does things at his size that are just incredible, amazing. The longevity, you know, he's been not only the best player in the NBA, he's been the best player in the NBA for a decade and a half. And I think with that, you've seen just his athleticism, his agility, his strength, you know, just just, just everything about being a great athlete, you've seen that with LeBron. I mean, I think, I think once he, obviously, if you just snapped your fingers and said, hey, you're in the NFL tomorrow, no. But if he trained for the NFL and, you know, you would see him, of course, pick up the nuances very quickly of, you know, the tight end position, I may be wrong, and again, I do defer to you because you did it, and that's what I'm getting at, Kevin. But I think, in theory, you're talking about LeBron James, dude. Yes, I think he would. I, I think he would be a force. I mean, BJ, they go that stuff again. I'm just telling you right now. I guess what? Listen, listen why I got to be a tight end though? Hey, man, he, he could do a tight end instead. No, 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 no. You're not going to just disrespect. The tight end position, listen, LeBron is one of the greatest ever to do it, but we have proven just because I am a supreme athlete doesn't mean to translate to every sport. How many people can't throw a baseball? Can't stand there and just throw it. <laughs> they just can't stand there and throw a baseball. You'll be like, oh, this dude is a UFC. This dude is you – know, no. Listen, LeBron, I love you. And if you want to get mad, if you want to debate me one-on-one, listen, you can DM me. We can, I can come to the <laughs> shop. We can talk about – no, I respect LeBron. I really, really do. But Tim Tebow showed you. 
It ain't just turn on the turn off because I can run. Because I'm big. He is big in the NBA with the average, the average guy is what, 6'6", 205. He's 6'6", 250. They're going to knock. Listen, LeBron going to get tackled by Tyron Matthew, who ain't even six feet, who might not be 200 pounds. So a dude that small is in the dude that big. And guess what? The dude that big, he's going the other way. And Tyron Matthew going to look at him and say, that's what I do, chump. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's the NFL for you. Where little guys can dominate big guys in the NFL. That usually doesn't happen in the NBA. You satisfied, BJ? We're coming back. Final hour. Sean Bedford, Georgia Tech Radio Network. Drew D. Arman, ESPN The Zone. Huntsville will join us for talking Bama and Ole Miss as well. Final hour of three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Glad you are with us. We're talking a lot of football here on this final hour. Drew D. Arman, ESPN The Zone. Huntsville will join us coming up in just a little bit. But here right off the bat, former Georgia Tech offensive lineman, the first winner of the Brian Burlesworth uh, Trophy as well. Now with the Georgia Tech Radio Network, Sean Bedford joins us here on 3 and Out. Sean, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all doing? Uh, doing fantastic. Uh, 2021, I guess, has been quite the ride for, uh, for you guys <laughs> to follow Georgia Tech. I mean, the opening loss to Northern Illinois had people saying, you know what, this could be a disaster of a season. Then you come back. Obviously, you beat Kennesaw State. It is what it is. Then you, Georgia Tech plays Clemson close, and everybody says, hmm, maybe this team might be turning a corner. And then you beat North Carolina, uh, who was projected preseason to go to the ACC championship game from the Coastal really badly. Where's this team headed? Are we starting to see this thing finally turn a corner uh, here for Jeff Collins? I think so. I think this is a team that is starting to show what it's capable of, and that's really what stood out to me in that North Carolina game was uh, just across the board, the entire team kind of stepped up its game a little bit and, and really revealed what we all suspected it could do uh, but just hadn't seen up to this date. And, and what's really interesting to me when you talk about kind of the, the roller coaster of emotions this season has been, Going back to that first game, now I, I think it's it's easy to say there's you know a team like Georgia Tech should not be in a, a close game with a team like Northern Illinois out of the MAC uh, late in the game and, and to lose that game is inexcusable. Um, but go back to that game and, and just kind of look at the the handful of things that broke one way or the other. You know we're we're talking about a season right now that if a kick sails a couple of yards to the right or you know a uh, passes on the money. Uh, potentially this is a team that is and 3-1 with its only loss being a uh, less than a touchdown loss in Death Valley to Clemson um, when they had an opportunity to win that game at the very end. So uh, you know, certainly that, that first game left a little bit of a sour taste in everyone's mouth, but I think this team is really rounding into form and uh, is, is poised to show the rest of the country what, what it is capable of. Sean, in the game against North Carolina, Georgia Tech had eight sacks and 13 tackles for loss. Uh, you played along the offensive line. I mean, what does that do for a team when a defensive front is is dominating the way Georgia Tech did Saturday night? Well, I think for the opposing, you know, and I'll answer this from the offensive lineman perspective first. From when you're playing offensive line and you're going up against a, a pass rush like that, it's demoralizing. Um, you, know, you really start looking around and trying to find some answers. Uh, but defensively, I think it it really feeds this team, and this is a team that coming into the season. We knew had a lot of talent and depth in the secondary, where all the unproven um, commodities were were in the linebacking core and in the front. Um, I would usually say the front four, but the front three, uh, given that Tech has played mostly a three-down man uh, front the, the last couple of games, and they've really stepped up in a big way. You know, even against Clemson, this defensive line rose to the challenge and and 
made life a lot easier, not only for the secondary, but for the linebackers, freeing them up to run around and make plays. And uh, Charlie Thomas was one of the ACC co-linebackers of the week this week, in large part because of the play of that defensive line. Sean, when you think about when you think about uh, you know what's going on right now at Georgia Tech, I mean, I, people people I understand impatience uh, is something that's going to go on when you talk about Georgia Tech faithful. But when you look at the last two games and what it does for a team like Georgia Tech, is still always trying to find its way. How much momentum can they build on? Potentially the two teams that everybody picked preseason to be in the ACC championship game, and they potentially should have beaten both of them. Well, that's a great question. I think that's that's going to be determined on, on Saturday. And um, you know, I, I think this was Saturday performance against North Carolina was really the performance I was looking for coming out of that Clemson game, and I think it even exceeded those expectations. Because for me, the question coming out of Clemson was: was this just a matter of this team got fired up for one game and? put all of their energy into that and was going to have a hangover game the following week. And the answer to that was a clear and resounding no. This was a team uh, that, that has, you know, I keep saying they're playing up to their capabilities, but I think that's really what we're talking about here. They played up to the level of ability uh, against Clemson. They took that and built upon it against North Carolina. But now to me the question is, can they handle success? You know, can they sustain this kind of energy and momentum and the fire, especially on defense that we've seen from them in the last two weeks, uh, in a game against a pit team that put up a ton of points uh, last week, can they keep that energy going? And if they can, you know, I think Tech is a force to be reckoned with in the Coastal. What's been the biggest, I guess, key for their turnaround uh, offensively? Is it just a commitment to the run game? Uh, has it been? I mean, you've played two different quarterbacks because of injury here, but what has been kind of the spark that you think really set this team going in the right direction? Well, on Saturday it was the reemergence of Jeff Sims, but prior to that, I thought Jordan Yates did a really, uh, not even just an admirable job, but a, a, a very good job of coming in and uh, steering this team offensively uh, through, you know, what been some challenging games. Now, Kennesaw State not having its best year, um, and, and everybody, you know, will look at that and say it's an FCS game. You shouldn't even be talking about that, but uh, that's a, a, a perennial contender at the FCS level the team that just given the nature of its offense is liable to give anybody fits. So the fact that that game was never in question um, and that Yates came out and performed as well as he did uh, and as efficiently as he did, I think speaks to what he's capable of. I think Tech has a really unusual um, luxury right now, which is two very capable quarterbacks with uh, complementary but different skill sets. Um, you know, if you watch the game on Saturday against North Carolina, you're obviously aware that Jeff Sims is an explosive athlete who can score from anywhere on the field. And I think – when you look at what his potential upside is, uh, you know, you start looking at, at someone like Lamar Jackson as a comparison. If, if he hits really the, 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 the ceiling of what he's capable of. With Jordan Yates, you don't have quite that same top level of, of athleticism or arm strength, uh, but you have a guy who knows the offense in and out, can, can pilot this offense down the field, and can give you that steady hand when needed. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be excited about at the quarterback position, but I think they've got two really good options. Last couple of weeks, uh, you've seen the Georgia Tech defense shut down DJ Uyangale and uh, Sam Howell. Can they make it three weeks in a row against Kenny Pickett? So Kenny Pickett is, you know, as somebody who's um, attached to another ACC Coastal team, Kenny Pickett is one of the most vexatious quarterbacks uh, in, in the conference. He's just that guy who, um, you know, doesn't necessarily blow you away when you look at his numbers or his performance, but he's always really good. He just knows how to find a way to win. Um, 
I think that certainly, you know, given the, the caliber of quarterbacks that, that Tech has faced the last two weeks, um, you know, I think they're going to be prepared for a, a very good quarterback, and I think they're, they've shown they can give anybody fits. But uh, I think they would be doing themselves a disservice to underestimate Kenny Pickett and the Pitt Panthers. And, and Sean, I mean, I finally, when you think about this Georgia Tech team, if, if, if Coach Collins can find a way to get the six wins and you look at you look at the adverse season they had, are we talking about a potential ACC coach of the year, regardless of what's going on around him? Oh, I, I think, you know, I, I'd love to see that. And I think if, if he's able to put them all together and, and really, um, you know, mount a run and, and get this team into a bowl, I think that certainly he should definitely be in the discussion. Um, I think there's a lot of question marks out there as to what this, what the ACC in particular is going to be this year. Uh, but yeah, I I think his name should certainly be in the discussion um, if we get to that point. Yeah, Sean Bedford joining us here on 3 and Out Georgia Tech Radio Network, Georgia Tech and Pitt Noon uh, coming up uh, this weekend in Atlanta. Sean, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sean Bedford joining us here. And uh, BJ and Ben, this is a team that, again, back-to-back weeks has played what was at least preseason, for what that's worth, thought to be two of the better teams in the league in North Carolina and Clemson. Split with them, had a chance to beat uh, Clemson at the goal line, wasn't able to make a play. Is this more the test in the last two weeks where you played up, played up, now it's a team that's kind of middle of the road, at least projected in pit in how you come out and play this week? I think this is a tough game, and I think I think Sean was kind of getting at that, you know, to, to, to follow up just a physically demanding game against Clemson and then have that incredible performance all the way around against North Carolina, that's back-to-back really good efforts. I know you didn't win at Clemson, but just about nobody has in recent years. Uh, to be right there with the Tigers and then to beat North Carolina, now you got to bring it for a third week in a row. And uh, this is really interesting, guys. After Ole Miss, Pitt is number two in the nation in scoring offense. Pitt is averaging 52-and-a-half points per game. Uh, and they are – Really balanced, really dynamic. They throw it downfield with Kenny Pickett, who a lot of people have said has played his way into a first-round grade uh, for quarterbacks for next season. I think you're going to need that defensive front to step up again. And uh, uh, Charlie Thomas was great uh, on, on, on Saturday. Uh, you, you saw a defensive front that was relentless. If you can rush the passer Saturday, I think Georgia Tech can win this game. If you don't, this is a bad team to struggle against because they're really good in the passing game. And Pitt has a good offensive line, but this is going to be a tough one for Georgia Tech, I think. Yeah, Georgia Tech is going to have to maintain that same uh, mindset they had. I mean, go back to how they played against Clemson at, you know, at Clemson, and then you look at the, uh, how they played uh, this weekend against North Carolina. I think they built for a team like Pitt. You got a defense that's led by their defensive line that want to be able to get after the quarterback. You got an offense. BJ, you talk about the balance on Pitt uh, offense. You got, I mean, what Sam's bringing to the offense with the, you know, with the RPOs, with the run pass option shows that he is also bringing balance. Give the ball to Gibbs and, you know, in that running game. And I think if you are, if you are Georgia Tech, you proved that you that you can play against anybody with Clemson. You proved that you ain't. You proved that you can go out there and play at a neutral site against a team like North Carolina. So now you talk about Pitt, who might be another barometer team in the ACC this year because of the balance that they bring. I think if you Georgia Tech, this is the type of team you want because I think Pitt, similar to Georgia Tech, is always the team that's scratching and clawing to stay relevant in the ACC. We don't give Pitt enough credit for what they know and what they do with their defense, but their offense, they are very, very balanced. I think this is the type of team that's going to be another test for a Georgia Tech team that wants to prove that they're not just a two-game wonder. They want to be able to put three games together. And again, a win Saturday, BJ, will be two in the Coastal Division. I know you have the loss to Clemson, but in division will be off to a 2-0 start. Still have Miami, Virginia Tech. 
uh, Virginia and uh, Duke out there, but a, a nice start nonetheless when you were projected to finish virtually last uh, by everybody. Yeah, Georgia Tech's definitely in the mix uh, to, to make it to the ACC championship game. Uh, and, you know, in that regard, the loss to Northern Illinois does not matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. And the uh, loss to Clemson from a head-to-head standpoint is with a, an Atlantic team. So that doesn't cost you double in the Coastal Division standings. You're in a good spot. That went over North Carolina makes you one of the front runners. It does. And I do think it's wide open. Uh, North Carolina, if we're being honest, is probably done because they have two losses already in the ACC Coastal uh, two teams that are right there in their division, Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech. Now, Miami lost to Alabama and Michigan State. Didn't look good in either of those games, but I think they are still right there at the top, fully capable of winning games in their division. But every week's going to be a challenge. Virginia Tech is a late conversion away from being undefeated against uh, West Virginia late against the, the uh, Mountaineers at the goal line. Duke is 3-1. and one. And you may say, oh, it's Duke. Duke has one of the best running backs in the country in Mateo Durant. Virginia is going to score on you. Virginia has one of the top passing offenses in the country. Brennan Armstrong, their quarterback, is throwing for 450 yards a game. So Georgia Tech is right there. But, Kevin, as we've talked about for years, uh, this is the ACC Coastal. It's wacky. It's weird. Uh, Just when you think you've got it, oh, I understand what's happening. Nope, not happening. But Georgia Tech is absolutely in position to make a run. I just think at the end of the day, Kevin and BJ, when you talk about a dangerous team, we look at we go back to the preseason, the team that doesn't get any any ink in the paper. There ain't nobody really talking about them. A Georgia Tech team that's still trying to find their way. They could they could have found their way the last two weeks. We'll learn about them again. You know, every single week is going to be can they put another week together? But if Georgia Tech find themselves in the ACC championship game, I would not want to have to play them because with everything they would have overcome at that point, those guys are going to be raring to go if they do make it to Bank of America up there in Charlotte. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. A big one there in the SEC this weekend as well. Drew DeArmond, ESPN, the zone of Huntsville. We're looking at Bama and Ole Miss when we come back here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here on this Tuesday. A bunch of big games coming up this weekend. Three games where we will see both teams ranked in the top 15 this weekend playing one another, one of those being Ole Miss and Alabama. Here to talk about it with us from ESPN The Zone in Huntsville, Drew DeArmond joins us here on 3 Now. Drew, welcome. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing this afternoon? Hey, we're doing fantastic. I, I know the natural talking points are Kiffin v. Saban, but might this be one of the best quarterback matchups we see all year long in college football? Well, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think right now you you could argue it could be the top two guys for the Heisman. I think it's really too early to say that, but if you wanted to, you could. Certainly what uh, you know Matt Corral has done for the Ole Miss team in three games, really a 1,000 yards passing. What in Bryce Young do in the 4-0 start, 15 touchdowns, one interception, and really an interception that shouldn't have been. And nearly a perfect performance against Southern Mississippi. Uh, he's uh, got 1,100 yards plus passing himself. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be as good a quarterback matchup as you may see in college football this year, no question about it. Drew, we've seen some great wide receivers at Alabama, of course. Tell us about Jamison Williams, who I believe, counting kick returns, had three plays of over 80 yards last week. Yeah, he did. You know, he had an 81-yard touchdown catch, 83-yard return, and then, of course, everyone saw the opening kickoff of the game, 101 yards. Uh, he's special teams player of the week. I don't know if Lane will kick to him now, uh, but certainly he's had a big impact as far as making vertical big plays. He had a 94-yarder against Miami uh, in the first game. So 
he's made an impact since coming over from Ohio State, no question about it. He has had a couple of big drops. He had that, uh, you know, uh, he's he's tried to body catch a little bit. He had the 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 the, uh, uh, the, the throw that turned into an interception. It should have been a big play. He should have had over 100 yards receiving on just two catches against the Golden Eagles, but that one went through his hands. And then he dropped one against Mercer, uh, you know, that could, probably could have gone the distance as well. So it hasn't been a perfect start for uh, Jamison Williams, but still a good one. Uh, and he's going to have to be on point Saturday against Ole Miss because any kind of drop or missed big play could be the difference because this Ole Miss offense, you know, they're, they're so potent and they don't get enough really – of credit for how they run the football. They ran the football for 268 yards on Alabama last year, led the SEC in rushing, and they're coming off of a performance against Tulane where they ran for 372 yards. So really, honestly, passing game gets a lot of the headlines, but the running game with Snoop Connor, Jerry and Ely, and even Corral himself, uh, you know, doesn't get enough credit. And, Drew, I mean, when you talk about a guy like Bryce Young, I mean, when you think about – I mean, he's obviously trying to do a couple of things. He's trying to make sure that when you look at the quarterback play uh, at Alabama as of, as of late, these guys have really been putting up big numbers from Jalen Hurts to obviously Tua to Mac Jones last year. He's trying to potentially be the first Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama for which with everything that Alabama's done, the fact that they've never had a Heisman Trophy winner – at quarterback, it's crazy. But just talk about his poise. I mean, to be in this position, not just winning at Alabama, but maintaining the standard at Alabama. Talk about this young guy in his young career, but seems to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, just seasoned beyond his years. Yeah, you know, Ben. There's no doubt that he's been the real deal so far, and he's really been in the spotlight since he transferred to Modern Day. Play for Bruce Rollinson. Bruce Rollinson making the bold statement: "We signed with Alabama. But he's the best they've ever had." So they've had Matt Leiner, they've had Matt Barkley, uh, they've had JT Daniels. It's a, it's a program that probably has had the most uh, high-profile quarterbacks come out of there, and yet, uh, you know, he's he's just got a unique skill set. He kind of reminds me of Pat Mahomes a little bit because he's got the mobility, he's slithery, he can get away from the rush, he keeps his head up. But the one thing he has done, he hasn't taken too many chances. Uh, so he has protected the football, hasn't run a lot, but I don't think the Alabama staff wants him to do that because, again, they don't have a lot behind him. Paul Tyson is, is a serviceable guy. Jalen Milrow, a freak athlete, but no one near his talent or ability. So it's imperative that they keep him healthy. He has been under pressure a lot, but that mobility has come into, uh, it has been a big part of him being able to stay healthy. He has taken some hits, but he's been able to, uh, you know, avoid those hits at times, still get the ball away. And, 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 you know, I think he's a little bit different style because of how quick he is and he, and uh, elusive. And I think one thing it, it, we've noticed about him, his deep ball is still developing. He's, he's been a little bit hit and miss with it, but he's been very accurate in the intermediate 10 to 20 yards, uh, 10 to 20 yard throws down the field. And that's going to be big against Ole Miss because I think a big part of this game, Ben, I don't think this Alabama offense is as explosive as it was a year ago, so I don't anticipate them being able to put up 60 points in this game. So it's going to be imperative that they go on a lot of 10-plus play drive and that they keep the chains moving, and I think Bryce Young can do that. Yeah, he can spread the ball around to a bunch of different receivers, and I think the two tight ends, uh, Cameron Lasso, who's developed into a quality red zone target, and then the reemergence of Jaleel Billingsley in the last game, with five catches for 101 yards, those two guys could be key factors against Ole Miss. 
and I think Bryce Young protecting the ball and, of course, staying healthy is imperative. And if he does those two things for Alabama on Saturday, he can have a big day. And if Alabama can get this win, then I think that he can be the front runner early for the Heisman for Alabama if they can move to 5-0 and on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Drew, you talk about moving the ball. Ole Miss last year defensively was just awful. Uh, are they any better? Uh, I know they had nowhere to go but up, but are they that much better defensively, or are we still looking at a, a 49-42 type football game potentially with how they can score the football? Well, guys, I think this year the game will be played. I would take the under. Uh, I've got it right now. I've got it a 2-28, type game. I still think Alabama's got the better roster. I do think their defense is better, but as you just got through saying, guys, uh, it couldn't have gotten much worse. They had they had only only one only one way to go, but up. I think they're still ranked the tenth best defense in the SEC. I don't think they've seen anything like Alabama. I do think Chance Campbell, the linebacker transfer, the middle linebacker from Maryland, has made a big impact. He's given them some leadership, some better production there. Secondary has played better, but it's going to have to play its best game of the year against the Crimson Tide. It's going to be a raucous environment inside Bryant Denny certainly. Probably the, the loudest Matt Corral has played in, but certainly he's capable. But I think what Alabama's got to do, it's got to be an old-school type game. I think Alabama has got to keep the football. I think they've got to win the, the time of possession battle. I think they've got to uh, run the football for over 200 yards, and I think they've got to win the turnover battle. If they can do those three things, I think they can move to 5-0. and But certainly uh, this is going to be a big test for uh, Ole Miss's defense, and I do think while it's better, I still think Alabama in the battle in the, in the trenches. They lost it against Florida, which was a little concerning. But I don't think when you look at offensive and defensive lines that Ole Miss has got the material that Florida does. So if Alabama can protect the football, not be sloppy, uh, and, you know, and go on long, sustained drives and keep the ball away from Matt Corral and this Ole Miss offense, I think that they can win the game. And I think they can win it. So decently comfortably, I see the numbers at about 14 and a half. I think uh, that's about right, even though I might have had it as low as 10 and a half because I respect this Ole Miss offense. But I just think when it comes down to it, you still win the game up front. And I think Alabama's defense, though they had problems against Florida, I think they can still play well enough against Ole Miss to win this game and win it impressively. But I, I just think Alabama's better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Drew, wanted to ask you about the division, and we'll learn about Ole Miss this weekend, of course, directly against Alabama. But Arkansas, uh, now in the top ten, of course, they'll play Georgia on Saturday. How do you see sort of the the, the order in the SEC West, and, and where does Arkansas fit in? Well, they've been the biggest surprise in the league. I, you know, I had them seventh like everyone else, even though I thought they could still go to a bowl and be improved. But Sam Pittman is easily – the early uh, coach of the year candidate in the SEC as far as the favorite. Uh, you know, he's done an amazing job sweeping Texas and Texas A&M. Wasn't surprised they beat the Longhorns. Uh, and then by the time the game came around with the injury to Haynes King, I picked them to beat A&M. Uh, but they were even more impressive than you could have uh, than you could have even hoped for, you know, with over 400 yards offense. They have a veteran defense as well that's got some balls like Jalen Catalan back there at safety. I do think they have a puncher's chance against Georgia, but I just think Georgia's too good defensively, uh, and they, I think they'll slow down that hog running game. Nobody's been able to run on them. Plus, the game being in Athens, I think, really helps Georgia. 
Uh, Georgia's getting healthier as well. Darnell Washington should be back. The wide receiver core is getting a little bit healthier, though they still won't have George Pickens. Uh, certainly, or and, and, and or probably Blaylock as well. But I do think uh, you know Jermaine Burton's playing well. They're getting some production out of McConkey, uh, who's been a, a quality uh, guy that's gone from a walk on to a scholarship player playing in the slot for them. And Bowers has been tremendous as a freshman at tight end, and now they'll have him and Darnell Washington together. So JT Daniels is getting healthy as well. I just think Georgia will be too tough at home, but I do think it'll be a four-quarter game. I, it, the only thing that concerns me is, you know, of course, uh, uh, you know, K.J. Jefferson being a little banged up and trailing Burks. Burks is probably the most explosive wide receiver in the league, but he got hurt in the last game. I think he'll play. I just don't know how effective he'll be against that Georgia secondary. I think Georgia will win it probably by 10 to 14, but still I think Arkansas right now, when you look at them in the SEC West, and I think the Mississippi State is probably the worst team in the West right now. But I would say Arkansas is bidding to be in that top three, and that's a tremendous accomplishment. They've already beaten Texas A&M. I think they could beat LSU as well, beat Auburn. So that Alabama-Arkansas game later in November, even if the Hogs lose this one to Georgia, and they're going through a brutal part of their schedule, the Hogs could be a factor late in the season. I think Sam Pittman and his football team are as well-coached as any in the league and have two excellent coordinators in Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom. And, Drew, I mean, even, I mean, even sticking with that with the SEC West, I mean, just taking everything away from Alabama because not, not, not only is Alabama the best team in the, I mean, in the country, obviously the best team in the SEC West, how much, how much does a team like Arkansas or Ole Miss you know, uh, benefit from the fact that you, know, you, you understand that their coaches, in my opinion, aren't paid to do the same things as the coaches at, you know, LSU, Auburn, you know, uh, and Alabama. Do you think because the standard is different at these schools, they could potentially be better teams? Because, I mean, what Arkansas is doing right now is supersede expectations, but how much do they benefit from understanding that we got to be able to compete with Alabama in order to have success just throughout this league? Well, you know, they, they know. Uh, they, I think they've, they can, they've been able to fly under the radar at Arkansas because of the – just a little over a year ago, Ben, it's unbelievable. They had a 20-game SEC losing streak, which is hard to fathom with the, the support and the and the resources that Arkansas had. But I think they're maximizing what they've got. I think they uh, they have they made outstanding coordinator hires. And sometimes you just have the right fitted head coach. I think they did that with Sam Pittman. Certainly, uh, Arkansas is, or, uh, is uh, you know I got a really good football team. I think Ole Miss really good hire in Lane Kiffin. Uh, he was a guy that went, was, had a lot of success at FAU. Ole Miss needed an offensive guy. Hugh Freeze was really successful there, but then ran aground because of the NCAA violation. Lane Kiffin, you know, he's getting another chance after the tough situation at USC. But let's not forget, I think he had a 28-15 and 15 record. So he did know how to win. He helped uh, revive Alabama's offense. So I think when you look at Ole Miss and Arkansas, you have to hire the right guys. If you get the right fit, it proves that you can win. Uh, you know, if Ole Miss beats Alabama, uh, it, it would send shockwaves through college football and certainly them on the way to being, just like Arkansas, a top three team in the SEC West. I mean, nobody had our, uh, Ole Miss or Arkansas. Very few uh, had them as upper echelon teams in the West. I still think the SEC West is the toughest division in all of college football. And the rise of Ole Miss, you know, 12th in the rankings, Arkansas being alt number eight just shows you how tough this division is. 
And, you know, LSU looks to be a little down right now. That LSU-Auburn game is going to be fascinating because I think whoever loses that game is probably headed for a lower division finish. And if it's LSU, Coach Ed Ogeron, they've got such a difficult schedule. He had to have that Mississippi State game last week because I think it would have spelled the end for him because of who else they had to play. But this Auburn game is also huge because LSU hasn't lost to Auburn at home in Red Stick since 1999, and they need to get this win to 2-0 in the SEC because LSU has got some mountains to climb later in the year. They've still got to play that Arkansas team. They've got to play Ole Miss. got to play Alabama. got to, you know, play Florida. So they have a very difficult schedule coming up. And Ed Ogeron, if there's one coach in the league that's probably on the hot seat, it's, it's Ed Ogeron because of what's happened since they won the national championship. They haven't been as competitive and, of course, all the off-the-field strikes. So, but, again, the rise of Ole Miss in Arkansas just proves to you how tough the SEC is. And those two uh, programs, I think you've got to give their athletic directors and their, and their, uh, their boosters and the, just their, their uh, organizations a lot of credit, their program, hiring the right guys out of their way and making quick turnarounds from you know, just a few seasons ago, just a couple years ago, when Ole Miss and Arkansas were struggling so badly. Drew DeArmond, ESPN The Zone in Huntsville, our guest here on 3 and Out. Drew, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Always enjoy being on, man. You guys do a great job. Appreciate you having me. Hey, we appreciate it. And uh, you got Alabama and Ole Miss coming up this weekend. And so far, we talked about the same old, same old at the top. Ohio State has lost. Clemson has already lost twice. We're in the first month of the season. Alabama's even had a close there with Florida. About the only team that hadn't shown a vulnerability yet is Georgia, and they've got Arkansas in a top 10 matchup coming up this weekend. We've got more to come here, three and out on this Tuesday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com. On this Tuesday, we just talked with Drew DeArmond about uh, the SEC, certainly in the West, Alabama, Ole Miss this week, Arkansas going to Athens as Georgia tries to stay undefeated against an upstart Arkansas team. But what has really, in your mind, triggered this turnaround at Arkansas because obviously Sam Pittman took over. It was disgusting. It was, man, this team is going to be rough. Then he comes in in the COVID year. That's tough to judge on anybody. Wins a couple of games uh, there. And then you come out now, he's got two, maybe two of the best wins in college football. I know Oregon beating Ohio State is probably right up there. But you've got two very, very good wins on your resume already that nobody saw coming. What do you think is the biggest impetus for turning that around? I think it's improvement defensively. Uh, I think, look, we all love the big uh, offensive stats. We love the highlights. And certainly, Traylon Burks is one of the best players in college football. K.J. Jefferson's outstanding. Arkansas can run the football really well. But I think they're winning games defensively. And there's there's kind of a common theme in the SEC when you look at the teams that have been great through the first month. And, of course, you know, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, all of these teams have really good offenses. But look at Alabama, maybe one of the best defenses Coach Saban has ever had. Look at Florida, the best defense we've seen at Florida in a couple of years. Look at look at Georgia, the best defense maybe we've seen in college football in a decade. And I think you look at Arkansas, it's their defense that stands out. And you heard Drew last segment talk about Jalen Catalan. Georgia fans, if you don't know about him, you're going to learn a lot about him on Saturday. This is a guy that to me, has a little Tyran Matthew to his game in that he's going to play close to the line of scrimmage. He's a little undersized, 
but he's always in the right place at the right time, always involved in run defense, can cover one-on-one in the slot. And when you have a, a safety that can basically play three, three positions, corner, safety, and even linebacker on passing downs, it gives you such versatility. And then their linebackers, I know you like Bumper Pool, Grant Morgan, Hudson Henry, they're, 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 they're really good in the middle of that defense. And here's, here's a stat that stands out to me when I look at Arkansas's defense. We all agree that Georgia has the best defense in the country. There are a lot of pundits, not just me, Kevin, who say this is a generational-type defense with Georgia. Georgia right now leads the SEC in third-down defense. Opponents only convert first downs on third down 28.1% of the time against Georgia. Against Arkansas, it's 28.3%. So as good as Georgia, one of the best defenses we've ever seen, has been on defense on third downs, Arkansas has been just as good. And I think that success rate for Arkansas, being at your best defensively, is a testament to their coordinator, Barry Odom, former head coach at Missouri, and just the playmakers they have on that defense. I think Catalan is the player to watch on Saturday against Georgia. He is an elite safety, a great college football player, Arkansas has got playmakers on offense, but I think the big reason if I have to pick one for the turnaround is they are great defensively. What I like about the turnaround is, I mean, you finally got a coach in there that made sure he made, he got the best out of his players. The thing about Sam Pittman is we get caught up in the sexy names, right? It got to be a big name. It got to be a big name coordinator uh, who, who, who was on one side of the football that has dominated over the years. The thing about Sam Pittman, he was the, he was the premier offensive line coach in the country. He was a premier developer of talent. And, and the thing about a college coach, they can coach any position. So what I think the turnaround is, is, BJ, is when you look at last year with the all-SEC schedule and how they was able to go out there and compete, then you start thinking about the fact that they were supposed to lose, they, they had them slated to lose every single game. So then you start talking about a Texas team this year, a Texas A&M team this year. You start saying, wait a minute, these boys can play football. Not only can they play football, Traylon Burke is the best. He might be the best receiver in the country, not just – in the SEC, K.J. Jefferson plays complimentary football. You talk about Bumper Pool, B.J. Catalan might be the premier safety. So, in a sense, you need, you need, you need on all three levels. You need to have a solid offensive line. Check. You need to have a solid running game. Check. You need to have players on the perimeter. Check. You need to have a defense that can create turnovers, that gets you off the field on third down, and a, guy that, and, a, and, a, and a quarterback on defense that's all over the field. You got that in Catalan. So, they got all the ingredients of, a, of an incredible football team, and they can go out there and play their game because no one's ever going to give them the credit they do because they're, quote, Arkansas. We're, we're waiting on the wheels to fall off as if, as if to say they don't play big-time football. So, I think the turnaround started with Sam Pittman. People thought it was just a good fill-in, a feel-good story. He has proven to be the coach they were needing, you know, all of these years. Yes, yes, regardless of how the season ends up, no one saw Arkansas being in the position they're in right now. This is a top 10 matchup this weekend, but I give all the credit to Sam Pittman because, one, it starts with the buy-in. Two, it starts with – second, it starts with the confidence. And the play on the field speaks for itself. This, this, this team is very, very dangerous. We'll see how good of a team they are this weekend because, obviously, Georgia, just like Alabama, is always going to be the barometer. Yeah, yeah, Ben talked about the run game, and there's a lot of people that talk about the run game but can they do it against Georgia, who is allowing just nothing on the ground? I mean, Vanderbilt had 77 total yards of offense last week, and I know they're the worst team uh, in, in, in the SEC by a long shot, but that's domination. Clemson held them down running the football. UAB didn't do much running the football. I mean, this has been a, a great, as you said, start for Georgia defensively, I know Arkansas has got a solid run game. Is it good enough to do it consistently against that Georgia defense on Saturday? 
Well, I think the key against Georgia, and and granted, this is much easier said than done, is you're going to have to get the chunk plays, right? Because if you're thinking in your mind, okay, I'm going to go up against Georgia's defense, and I'm going to go on a couple of nine-play, 82-yard drives, that's just not going to happen. Georgia's too good defensively. We, I, I saw something on social media the other day that said uh, there are folks who believe that every single starter on Georgia's defense will be like a top four-round pick. So this is as good as it gets defensively. It's not realistic to expect that you're going to go on these long drives. But can you get a couple of home run plays, a couple of 40- or 50-yard plays? And if you watch the Georgia Southern-Arkansas game, you saw the Razorbacks do it there against the Eagles a couple of times. If you watched Texas A&M-Arkansas last week, you saw Traylon Burks with the big play. And that's why I think he is such a, a, a star to watch on Saturday because if you're going to score on Georgia – you better do it where you take advantage of one missed coverage or one missed tackle in the open field or one guy getting beat. And Burks is averaging 20 yards per catch this season. 20 yards per catch. And keep in mind, that's having gone up against Texas and Texas A&M and Georgia Southern, who has a really good secondary. So I think Burks getting him the ball, Jefferson getting him the ball in space, taking a couple of shots, I think that's the key. Jefferson has beat a couple of teams this year just with scrambles, not necessarily design runs, but letting the play develop and then seeing the opportunity and taking it. If Arkansas can get four or five 20, 30-plus yard plays, I think that's their route, their formula for winning this game. And to me, Ben, that's why Burks is so important for Arkansas and stopping Burks is going to be so important for Georgia. You're going to have to win those 50-50 balls. I think most of the time when you go up against a team like Georgia, people be thinking to themselves, what do you got to do to go out there and beat Georgia? You got to go out there and establish who you are and be yourself. You can't let them take you out of your game plan. If you force them to make you one-dimensional, that's going to that's gonna favor Georgia every single time. I think when you look at a team like Arkansas, play loose. You don't have to be anything more than what you've done. They're going to be arrogant enough to think that you're going to be, they're going to put they're going to put Darion Kendrick one on one on Traylon Burks, and we're going to see good on good. Let's see it. And and if I'm Arkansas, I will take that matchup every single time. Traylon Burks, he looks and goes, look, man, DBs don't cover me one on one. I don't care who they are. That's not disrespectful. That's just how I go out there and get it done. Every t- they 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 went one on one on Saturday. What happened? Bombs off a bag. What is the BJ seventy something yard? You don't do that. This is a dude. Listen, when you got chemistry between a quarterback and a receiver, it doesn't matter who you're going up against. We that's that's one on ones. You do that every single day in practice. But if you also are Arkansas, you got to, you got to be able to hit some big plays. You're talking about a t- you talking about a team of Georgia. They don't give a nothing cheap, nothing deep. Allow them to sign and play football. That's what they do better than anybody else. And you got to control that monster named Jordan Davis. He cannot disrupt everything you do. The quickest the quickest guy to the quarterback is the guy that's closest to the quarterback, and that's always going to be the nose guard. You're going to have to find a way to neutralize him, get the ball out quick, let it be quick game, the intermediate game, to uh, to uh, the passing game down the field, and you your running game might not be your biggest asset, but Kevin, I do agree, you're going to have to find a way to stay balanced, because if they wake you one-dimensional, you're going you're gonna to feed right into what uh, what Coach Landon is wanting to do, and, and uh, they're going to turn them guys loose all day against K.J. Jeff. Absolutely. Hey, we'll come back. we got them more, a couple more days, obviously, to talk about this one as we lead up to Arkansas and Georgia, and uh, we'll break it down uh, throughout the week. Braves with a big series coming up tonight against the Phillies. We'll break it down quickly when we return. Get you ready for that ball game tonight. It's three and out. Have here three now big one tonight uh bj and ben starting in atlanta three gamer against the philadelphia phillies braves two and a half games up over the phillies charlie morton tonight zach wheeler about as big as it gets a win you're three and a half up uh bj and ben with five games to play biggest game of the season so far tonight love that charlie morton's on the mound 
Go out and get it. I think if you win game one in this series, I think that closes the door pretty much. I know you would still have a mathematical chance for Philadelphia, but set the tone, win the series by winning the first game. Braves, you know what you got to do. Go out there and get it done. I like the fact that the game matters and you can't just go out there, you know, but with, but with Will Smith, I mean, I mean, I got, I got my sage. I got, I got my prayer bees. I'm, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> yeah, we'll be closing our eyes and hoping and praying. But, yeah, again, BJ, as you said, not it would take the ultimate collapse like losing the last five games in a row at that point if you can just win game one uh, tonight against the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll have it for you coming up in seven minutes right here. So don't go anywhere. Braves and Phillies right around the corner.